0: Traveling to Consciousness, exploring spiritual journeys to find answers in uncertainty.
1: Dude, Joe Hawley, we are in to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness, man. Welcome on the show. Super grateful you're here and I'm just excited, man. This is going to be a dope conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, uh, I love exploring the mystery and the unanswerable questions and some esoteric concepts. and It's just such a beautiful beautiful experience of reality to, to be able to, to explore and question and, you know, have conversations with people about, you know,
1: all the things. And even in the way you said that, it kind of feels like it's almost, uh, it, it hopefully this doesn't minimize it, but it, it honestly feels like an art in a sense of like, okay, if, if I hold true this one thing, like and something new kind of comes into my reality, like, does that agree with it? Does that differ? Do I need to update my reality? Do I need to change this? And it's almost kind of like a painter um, kind of painting like a, a picture of like, okay, this one thing isn't the right shape. Like, let me see if I can change that a little or change this spot over here and kind of warp it to look a little bit more beautiful.
0: Yeah. You have to be open for new information. And I think curiosity is one of the most important tools any of us can really embody. And it's fascinating. And you look at the the culture we grew up in and you know, the religion, most religions, you know, they, they, the the biggest enemy to the, at least the Christian based faith that I grew up in was the question why. And mm. it was just like the people at the church, my, my parents, they didn't know how to answer or fulfill or satisfy my, my curiosities. And so they stifled it because to think for yourself is not really uh, honored. And so, to have a curious, open mind, I think is one of the most powerful things and 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 not attaching to a belief structure so rigidly, because that's when you start creating this us versus them. And if I have a belief and I'm attached to it, then if your belief is different than mine and your belief is, if, I, if, if there's potential that your belief is right, then that makes me wrong. And when it's tied up, when belief structures, especially around religion and a religion like Christianity is you know, really around the fear of death and what happens when I die and where am I going to spend eternity? And so if I'm attached to this idea of like, I know what I'm going to do when I die because of what I believe, if you believe different and there's a potential of that, then that makes me wrong. Then what happens when I die? And so I get attached to it, which creates a lot of other out there different for me, which creates a lot of conflict instead of being open, curious. And, you know, on this journey I've been on, you know, I've, I when I first walked away from the NFL it was like deep seeking. I wanted to know the answer, and I was very curious. And I explored all these different avenues. and We can get into to all that, and I got to a point where I realized, oh, it's it's a mystery. Like you have to accept the fact that you you don't know, because the knowing is found in a it's a, in a feeling. Like the intellect and the mind tries to figure it out so it can have certainty. But my knowing that I've found is is in the knowing in my heart. It's knowing in this trust and faith. And that's, you know, where real faith comes in. And we can speak to that because I've been contemplating that quite a bit as well. It's like, what is faith? Blind faith, earned faith, and the experience of of life.
1: You know? and it's certainly it's certainly weird too when you start realizing that more truth comes from your heart than in your brain. Cause like the model, you're like, okay, all the knowledge is stored in the brain. But then even through like different stories that I've heard or even different, uh, like there's a story I've talked about on here before where, you know, this girl had a heart transplant and whenever she got that heart transplant, she started having all these crazy nightmares, but I guess it wasn't all these different ones, but it was like the same nightmare over and over again. And, and what it led me to realize, or the way the story plays out, I suppose, is that the dream she was having was of this guy kind of coming in and stabbing her. And she kept waking up being terrified. She went to like a psychiatrist. She went to um, get all this different mental help and people couldn't figure out what the cause of it was. Well, they started retracing kind of when it started and it was whenever she got that heart transplant come to find out the girl who she got the heart transplant from was actually stabbed to death. And the person who committed the murder was never found. And She like then started working with the FBI, told the person who was like in her dreams and like all this different stuff. And it led actually to a conviction of a guy and then the prosecution of him who actually carried out this murder on that chick. And so, wow. Yeah, dude. And, and it's crazy too, because I've seen these like little story for some reason, that's the one that's like burned into my mind. But I've seen many different stories that have played this out where our bodies like like memory isn't only stored in the brain it's stored throughout our body and even from a uh computer engineering perspective because that's where my background is and we'll touch on that a bit more as we talk about climbing mountains um but that's a big thing that they figured out with like robots and like robot vision is like a robot even has this like it can talk right like you know chat gpt like that can talk mm-hmm. with us in a language model but it isn't actually able to engage with the environment if it doesn't have a physical body so it's like this crazy conundrum of like okay well where's memory stored where's information stored are we actually using our brains to think or are we not using our entire body to think
0: yeah that's really fascinating i'm excited to jam out about kind of how you see and view the world with all this rapid advancement of ai and technology and like what's actually going to happen over the coming not even coming decades anymore. It's like coming months and year yeah. or two, you never never so much change any second. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's one thing I'm learning a lot about is the, the psychosomatic connection and the process of, of healing and how much trauma is stored in the body. And, um, you know, it seems like the emotional body is what connects the physical body, the mental body, the spiritual body. And, you know, in a culture where, especially as men, we're not, really taught how to properly feel. Not only we're not taught and we're not there's no safety created for us to actually go into emotions. We're, you know, shamed and judged for it uh, from a very young age when, you know, I have a two-year-old son and, and the way he feels his emotions is just so like intense and full on and he just doesn't doesn't he doesn't hold back. Like if he feels something there's like you no like you interrupt feel the energy. Yeah. And when we suppress those emotions that's what creates, you know, a lot of dis-ease in our bodies and, you know, talking about like the mental health crisis and like, you know, if you're not, if you're talking about mental health and I think it's, you know, there's, there's, there's a level of that. That's really beautiful. Like destigmatizing mental health and the conversation and people be able to talk about it, but we're still not getting to the root of like, why is there such a mental health crisis? And you can't isolate mental health to the mind. It's, it's, when you look at it, it's like, well, you know, how, what are you fueling your body? Like what's your physical health that affects it? You know, what's your emotional health? What, what kind of unprocessed emotional trauma do you have in your body that you haven't really felt? Cause that, that gets stored in, in what's called the SOMA, or the somatic experiencing of the physical organism. And, um, yeah, I think it's, I've had a lot of really powerful, like psychosomatic healings and, and being able to process a lot of that energy through my body and in that process, Really fascinating how like literally stories and narratives and thought loops and resentment and anger and all these things that are stored that create these stories in my mind and projections of reality, when I'm able to just feel the emotions in a safe space and like let that go, like I can literally see them unwinding and letting go and like flying away. And it's like, oh, there's a deeper level of freedom and presence because I've been able to just feel this. And I think, you know, if I could look look out in the world and say, like, what's one of the biggest Issues we face is just this, this, is collective, both individual, which leads to a collective amount of just unprocessed grief, and we don't know how to grieve. We don't, never been taught how to grieve. We don't feel safe to grieve. Grief is a, gr- grief is a very scary emotion. Um,
1: and maybe, maybe and that's I think The good, more
0: we can really connect with that.
1: Yeah, maybe that's a good place we can kind of tie in your story a little bit too, because. First of all, I want to give a shout out to Kyle Kingsbury, um, your podcast on his, I think it was episode 299. I was just listening to it this morning. And I, I think if anyone's super interested in Joe Hawley's story, like go listen to that podcast. Cause he kind of just steps through it piece by piece and it's, it's a wild story, Joe. It's a, it's a one of a kind for sure. And I think, you know, to get back to this grieving aspect, right. You, I noticed it, I think in your pod or in that podcast, whenever, you kind of started realizing and processing, like it might've been just before you were about to leave the NFL. Cause you kind of saw the writing on the wall, but there was a point in that story where you started grieving and it seemed like I, I don't, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seemed to me that your whole world and not even your world, but people who were in your world were really identifying you and your life around being an NFL player. Like that was who you were football was you it was your life it was the mountain that you had climbed to the top right you were at the top of the nfl mountain and to realize like okay at some point i'm gonna have to go down this mountain and climb up a new one i'm gonna have to in essence start over my maybe professional career or even the career that i'm projecting out to the world so i mean how did i guess walk me through that a little right like the grieving aspect Realizing that you know this was your identity, and and I guess even did grieving help you in dissolving that identity that you had identified with, and even the people around you.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, obviously it was just it was so much deeper than anything I could have ever imagined, and I think that's one of the challenges. You know, and I'm super grateful for it because at the age of 29, I got to uh, confront things that most people don't really have an opportunity to look at until they're you know facing retirement at like 65 so the fact that I was accomplished like my childhood dream was making millions of dollars had basically enough money to buy anything I ever dreamed of as a kid had the the beautiful partner I was about to marry like everything was looking like it like it was this is it and there was still something missing and I'm really grateful that I was able to confront that and say okay well what else is out there like I, I it felt like this this self-created prison that I was trapped in. It was like something that, you know, I imagined this this big mansion that I was building for myself of like this dream. And I got to a point where it was like super, like I made it. But then it was like all of a sudden there was, you know, bars on the windows and like I couldn't, I didn't know what it was like on the outside of this house, you know? I'm like, yeah, there's a nice sofa, a big TV, but what else is out there in life? And I felt like kind of suffocated by it. And, you know, I'm I'm someone that, you know, had my head on right and was, in, you know, really, like, prepared, I guess you could say, for this thing. But it's something you can't really prepare for. And, uh, you know, I was really surprised, you know, someone that always said, because they, they, like, there's people that want to support athletes, right? And, like, the teams are, like, NFL stands for not for long, make sure you have a backup plan, like, you can't play forever. And so these things are always kind of, like, preached at you. But the fascinating, like dichotomy of it, or the juxtaposition, is like if you start preparing, you're gonna, it's gonna lead you to being done because you have to be so singularly focused in such a hyper-competitive mm-hmm. environment that if you're thinking about a backup plan, then you might as well walk away because you're you're done, and that's kind of what happened to me. It was like, uh-huh. it was like I lost my starting job for the fifth time in my eighth year, and I was on the sidelines. And every other time it had happened, I was. I had this like fire and passion of like, I need to prove myself that I belong out there with the best and I, I want to compete and it's what I love to do. And, you know, this year I was like, wow, I'm actually happy I'm not playing. And I was like, oh, wow. Like that was when I knew this was going to be my last year playing. And, you know, I I started stripping away these stories and, you know, I told my fiance at the time, like, Hey, this is going to be my last year playing. And she was super unsupportive of that decision. And that's when I started realizing, and I told my parents, my dad's like, well, what are you going to do for money? Like, what are you talking about? You're going to walk away. Like you worked your entire life for this. Like they just, they, they couldn't compute for them. And I realized, okay, this is very fascinating. I'm, I'm on this path of desiring to know the deeper truths of who I am and what life's about and why am I here? Because there's something that's left unsatisfied within me and I'm ready to go explore those deeper questions And I was just seeing how it's not just me and my attachments to this identity. It's, it's everybody that is in my life that loved me and viewed me as this athlete. And there was, you know, even unconsciously, I'm not, I don't fault them for this, but there's something in it for them because they got something out of it. And so there's just like this, it's not just me in isolation. It's this whole energy of what I, like what I was able to accomplish in such a pinnacle, like idolized position in our society and to actively participate in letting that go consciously and, and, you know, participating in that, like, there's not a lot of guys that really go through that. And I'm really grateful. I got a chance to like, really be present with my final year and strip, strip it all away. And then, you know, it was like played my last game and the finality of it was like, it was so intense. It was something I can, I I just, no matter how hard I, if I tried to prepare for it, it was like, Holy cow. And it was like a week after my final game, I was sitting in my apartment and it just, I can, Ooh, I can feel it right now. It's just like this intense grief that it felt like there was a void in my heart and I had actively ripped my own heart out. And it was, I I broke off my engagement. I felt estranged from my parents. And now realizing I'm never going to be able to play this game that I love so much. And the, the, the amount of just emotion and grief felt so, intense and far reaching and the depth of it like I, I didn't even know how to access it and intuitively it was like i need to i need to go on a journey like i just need to get moving i need to move this energy somehow and felt very isolated and alone and ended up stripping everything away i even gave away all my like physical possessions to charity you know which was really yeah, cool you was watched, like just it, even that was physical you, weight on
1: me you know you watched like a movie on minimalism or something
0: yeah, it was when uh, minimalism was first kind of like introduced through the Netflix documentary called The Minimalist. They now have like a huge podcast and they've done a couple different documentaries. They're actually really popular. And yeah, it was, you know, it was like leading up to that decision. It wasn't just like, oh, I had something and I want to walk away from the game. It was this slow awakening, you know? Like I started, I read my first book called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari in 2014. And it was like the first, like, it was like a, a fable about this trial lawyer that had reached the pinnacle, but he had a heart attack. And he basically, the doctors told him, like, you have to let go of your law practice or you're going to kill yourself. And it's cool to look back on, like, a lot of the parallels in my life, like, that, go back to that book. You know, I read books like Into the Wild and, like, these, these, these like, wow, what is it like out there? Like, what is, what is what it is? this, it was this desire to experience freedom.
1: This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Revive CBD. Now, I know what you're thinking. Another CBD product. And typically, I would completely agree with you. I've gone through all my trials and tribulations with CBD products, but this CBD cream is unlike anything else. Honestly, I don't know what it is, but there's something in the technology of it that it helps absorb into your skin and actually get to the place that aches and soothes your muscles almost instantaneously. It's close to instant. It's probably about a five to 10 minute activation that I've noticed, but sometimes it goes a little bit quicker. And so I know it can be difficult for the find the right one. And this was my personal favorite that I found after whew, long enough. <laughs> I don't want to go back to that dark time, but I found it. It works amazing. And the creator of it is an incredible guy. So I highly recommend you click the sponsors link below, click on the Revive CBD tab, and get yours today. Revive CBD. Feel better, live better, all premium, all natural CBD products. You know, and. It was
0: just, uh or even like, what the, I think a lot of people like. like go what ahead.
1: What does what does freedom even mean? Like a yeah. level of that.
0: I keep I keep accessing like deeper and deeper layers of what it is, you know. And it's like, how deep does the onion go? Because there's so much tied into the the programming and the indoctrination, and you know. I'm getting to deeper layers now and we can, we can dive more into this, but, you know, even like the spiritual path and like realizing like, what is true abundance? What is true freedom? Like these questions. And, you know, I bought a a 72 acre uh, piece of property about a year ago, 90 minutes outside Austin and, um, really starting to confront like what, what is, what is actual spirituality? Like what is, what is sovereignty? What is freedom? And, what I'm starting to really connect with, because I did this uh, this cleanse just recently as well. And we could dive into that, uh, where I was, like really questioned and like was was basically clearing out my my body. It was a gut reset, and there was like a parasite cleanse involved. And realizing and talking to the uh, my friend that was kind of helping support me through this process was how much toxins and poison there is in not only our environment but our food system and how disconnected all of us are from where our food comes from. And even, sure. you know, organic food is like the, the, the soil is not as nutrient dense as it used to be. And so even this like healthy, good looking, organic fruits and vegetables doesn't have the the nutrient dense, like energy and frequency that our body really needs. And I mean that alone, and then like obviously all the processed foods and stuff, it's like our body doesn't process that as nutrients. It's like poison really. And so I'm accessing, like, I eat really healthy. And then I'm going through this detox. And I'm like, holy cow. Like, and I, it, like when I, I felt so, like, connected and, and clean. And my energy levels were, like, super consistent. And, you know, me and my partner are about to move out to our land. And, and she's getting into, like, permaculture and, and growing our own food. And what does that look like? And going through this detox at the same time was, like, really connecting me with what would it feel like to be in right relation with my food? And grow my own food and love and nurture and care for the plants that are actually feeding me and my family and my community. And there's a a deeper spiritual component to that and the frequency. And I I don't know what that's like, but I can only imagine the, the expansion of freedom and sovereignty and spiritual connection when, I mean, there's so many different layers to it but even like the fear of we talked about earlier, like what's going to happen in the next couple of years. And I, that conversation comes up a lot, especially in, you know, in kind of uh, the spiritual communities or people that are like really questioning the paradigm and like wh- where do we head and and what do we do? And there's a potential of real catastrophic failure of systems and and the chaos, potential chaos that could ensue from that. And so it creates this like underlying fear of like, what do I do if I'm reliant so much on the system? And so I think there's this, like, it all points back to food. It's really, really fascinating. Like, how do we cultivate and, and grow our own food? And that knowing that I have food that can fuel my family, like, what else do you really need? You can, that's when you can really start breaking down and like distancing yourself from the collective paradigm of what society tells us is reality and be able to actually start building a new. A new system, what that looks like, I don't know. But I know there's a lot of people, um, you know, like Kyle Kingsbury is doing really great things out at the farm in Lockhart and learn. I'm so grateful for him because I'm learning so much and I have a lot to learn and I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But it's like we, we started by planting our garden. You know, we have a garden where we're just planting food, putting it in the ground and seeing what happens. And there's something really fascinating about connecting with food. Like nature is so abundant. You know, like we have this, uh, this avocado seed. From an avocado that we got at the store. And like you can put these little screws in it and let it sit like three quarters in water. And over like a course of like four to six weeks, it cracks open and a little seedling comes out. And then you can take that and plant it in the ground. And that one seed is gonna lead grow an avocado tree that will have hundreds of avocados. So it's talk about the exponential like abundance of nature, like one seed to a hundred to a hundred thousand, like it's just it's like that.
1: Yeah. And what what you're touching on there is something I've always found so fascinating, right? Where like, let's even take that idea and kind of transition into our physical world, if you will, where it, it feels like at least at a mass level, there's that paradigm of scarcity, if you will, where it's like, you know, for instance, if I had a scarcity mentality Throughout this podcast, I would have never mentioned Kyle Kingsbury's podcast because it's like if I mention that podcast and and then my listeners go and listen to him, then they're no longer going to listen to me. You know what I mean? Like that fear Mm -hmm. dynamic comes up. But even as you're kind of laying out right there, I mean, how many avocados are there sitting in grocery stores all across the world? And yet we could take 30 seconds to kind of just plant one. Of course, I know some people are probably living in situations that it's not feasible from an environment point of view but it's like how have you found a way or like a way to cultivate or realize that you know we're a part of nature like we all have that intrinsic ability to a be the seed that kind of grows into the plant that can feed all or even find ways to create and plant seeds so that more people are able to prosper because of it
0: yeah wow it's a big big question um you know, I think it's, yeah, it's the, it's like Charles Eisenstein says, right? We're moving from this, this story of separation into this, this story of interbeing. And I mean, the whole, the whole paradigm that we are separate from nature is like, it's really quite fascinating. And, you know, these lower frequency uh, energies of like scarcity and fear and worry and shame, like all of that creates is needed to create the, the very structures that our economic system and kind of every financial systems or social, like all built on this idea of lack because if there's, and it's artificially created and Charles Eisenstein has a really good book called um, sacred economics, which is a little bit dense and academic in parts and a little bit over my head, to be honest, it's, but it's really, really powerful. Some of the concepts that I had never heard before and like how, how debt works and how, Artificial scarcity creates, you know, this environment that we live in and it creates by definition an unsustainable future because there's always more to be had and we never feel like we have enough. And it creates What's the name of this greed book? dynamics?
1: I might need to look this Sacred up. Sacred economics. Sacred economics.
0: Yeah. Anything by Charles Eisenstein is really, really good. I don't um, think I've ever
1: heard his name before.
0: Oh, you got to check him out. Yeah. Him and Zach Bush are like the prophets of our time. <laughs> Zach Bush is a, a medical doctor who's uh, really connected to like the food system and how like what's really going on with like soil health and our gut health and how it's all connected and Charles Eisenstein's like a philosopher and he's a economist and talks about macroeconomics and you know stuff that I can't even really regurgitate because it's like pretty it's super dense
1: but it sounds yeah. like you—it sounds like you pulled away something from it, right? In regards to this 100%. artificial scarcity and and how we're able to become the abundance, let's say, in the world. So, what I—I I didn't mean to cut you off. I wanted to make sure we nailed down that that book title, though.
0: Yeah, totally. And then what I've been—I've been, you know, I'm I'm really into uh, like I love channeled texts. I don't know if you're into into that at all. The law, um, have you come but, across
1: the law of one?
0: Yeah, like the law of one. Uh, Paul Selig has some really good stuff and I just, uh, ran into these, um, I forget the author's or the channel's name, but it's, it's the, called the Joseph communications, which is fascinating because my name's Joseph, but this was one of those like kind of recommended in Amazon or like audible. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I clicked on it. You know, it's cool how technology can create synchronicity and like the universe can use technology to, to feed us like it's all interconnected. Things.
1: It's all interconnected. Yeah.
0: It's really cool. Um, but this has been a really powerful like I've been it's an and I love an audible because it's like these higher frequencies are channeling this information. And you know, some some stuff like resonates, some stuff doesn't. So like if you're someone's like, oh channel text, like, you know, ah, like what is that? It's like I've definitely listened to some stuff where like it doesn't resonate in my frequency. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna listen to that. But then some stuff just like it just speaks so deeply to my soul. And like we talked about before the show, like being really curious and open minded and pulling Like what resonates and what doesn't. I think it's, you know, someone forget who said this, but it's like if you're if you're really um, attached to, like, is this true or not? um, You can get that can get you in a lot of trouble because then you're trying to figure out like what's true, what's not, and you're sifting through all this information, especially now with so much information being bombarded. The question to ask yourself is: Is this useful? Can I use this information to make me a better person? To um, help me feel more grounded. Help me understand a little bit more about what I'm moving through, and does it resonate? And I think that's a lot more, uh, a lot better question, a more useful question. And it's interesting to talk about this artificial scarcity and these denser frequencies like fear and, and scarcity and worry and doubt and shame and guilt and greed. And you know, you talk about it from a spiritual perspective. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the Christian faith, and so there was always this story of the the fall from the garden of eden or the the fall of grace and you know the adam and eve eating from the 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 tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you know these symbols and metaphors and parables that you know attaching to them literally i think is missing the point but they're they carry a lot of frequency and these joseph communication there's a book actually called the fall and it talks about how us as angel- we're angelic beings right we're energy beings, and if you really understand, even science says this now, like on the very you know smallest of scale, like we're just frequency and vibration, and so in reality, this whole experience is a is a hologram, it's a projection, and this actually doesn't actually exist it's it's my interpretation in my brain, so the world is actually a psychic event that is happening from neural pathways, connecting in a certain way from our visual cortex, creating the experience of Physical reality, but in the depth of it it's it's all vibration and frequency vibrating at different levels, and so when you think about kind of a spirit more of a spiritual ethereal experience that we we would be able to create if if you think of us as like angelic beings and we'd be able to create uh, more fluidly and more in real time and what happened in this in this fall it was it talks about it as an experiment, and so you know it, it it's a really good analogy it talks about. You know if uh, if the Godhead, the oneness of all creation is is one thing, if it wants to create separation to have an experience, you think of it as like a rope right? like a rope is is one thing, but if you start unraveling the little strands within the rope, there's all these little individual experiences, but it's all part of the same rope hmm. and so it talks about what what God did is it kind of started separating into these more ethereal angelic beings, but there there's a separate experience or a, a separate perspective of the same thing. And so as that kind of went further and further, um, you know, this group of angelic beings was like, well, we, we think there's a way that we can create to bring more information and more growth and expansion to the Godhead through this new way of creating. And that basically, long story short, the way of creating is we're going to forget that we're God and we're going to forget that we are an aspect of that creation. And we're going which led to this deeper frequency of fear scarcity lack like we're we're not connected to the all Mm. and what that has created is this this amnesia of who we are and what we're here to do and our ability and power as creative energetic beings and we're stuck in this loop of and you know the there's a kind of the I mean I don't know super a lot about it but like even the buddhist philosophy is like the the death rebirth and reincarnation and their whole purpose of their um philosophy is to transcend the reincarnation cycle and the death rebirth cycle and to get out of this trap of being stuck in this physical dense uh experience of of reality and there's also like the the hindu uh, philosophy of the the yugas, which are these four cycles of consciousness. So there's like the golden age, silver age, bronze age, and it goes, it goes all the way down. And you you can talk about this from all these different philosophies and different uh, cultures um, throughout time. But we're going through what's called the Kali Yuga, which is the the densest frequency of destruction and fear. And you need all these. You know, you need the you need the resistance and the and the the experience of separation to know who you are. So it's this idea of the only way to know who you are is to know what you are not. And so going into this reality, we're kind of moving through this this Kali Yuga phase, the dark ages, the last two thousand to uh, however many thousands of years where it's like humanity is just trying to survive and there's a lot of fear, a lot of scarcity. And uh it's really cool to witness that we're We're kind of moving through this this great awakening and we're coming back around to this golden age and you can kind of feel it happening more and more people in my life are starting to be more curious be more open and you know growing up circling back even the the christian philosophy and the the the, uh the the prophecy of the second coming of christ you know if you look at the second coming of christ as a a frequency and uh you know christ consciousness as not a man coming back, not Jesus coming back in the sky to save his people, but this frequency that it lives within all of our hearts that is going to be reawakened into this, this second coming of Christ and this uh, this rapture and this transcendence and ascendance of these souls, like all of it is pointing to the same thing, which is what we're moving through right now. And yeah. then we got, you know. yeah,
1: yeah. Christian Christianity is wild. I was, I was raised Presbyterian and then, whole long story, was Presbyterian, kind of went non denominational, then kind of left. And through my own, you know, adventure, I've kind of like found my way back to the Bible. And something that I've found super fascinating is like what you're touching on right there, which is like, you know, they talk about the second coming of Christ and this even ties into heaven and hell. But, you know, like what you're saying with to the second coming of Christ, it's like, you know, there's this, almost dogmatic literal application that has been applied to it in so many different ways and it's and it makes it difficult because it's like okay you're telling me Jesus is literally going to come back and I, I think that to your point i completely agree i think it's that awakening within you know the the attainment of christ to the highest good possible that's what will you know bring us out of the darkness bring us out of the kaliuga right it's it's being able to find that, that way. And whenever people say, Oh, like, you know, Jesus said something along the lines of like, you know, the path to God is through me. I don't truly think that that means that you have to believe or know in Christ in Jesus Christ, but it's at least following the etiquette or the understanding of what enables someone to be of Christ vibration, let's say, in order for them to bring upon, you know, heaven on earth. And, and even more so that was, This is where it gets interesting too, when you're talking about that wheel is something I've always kind of played with is like this idea of heaven and hell, right? Like traditionally dogmatically, we think like, okay, heaven's above us and hell's below us. But the way that I've been starting to see it is almost like that earth, like this plane of existence is hell. Like we were born into hell and our job now is to, even with how much terribleness, how much torment, how much Disease, how much poverty, how much evil there is in this physical plane of existence, we need to overcome it and purify ourselves. And I think this kind of goes back into reincarnation, where it's like, okay, you know, you reap what you sow. And then once you're able to heal all of those things and then not only heal all of those karmic debts, but then to enact, let's say, the divine presence of the Christ consciousness, that's when you're like, okay, now you're out of the rebirth cycle. You're on to. You know God or Heaven, or bigger and better things that aren't of this hell dimension,
0: uh-huh, there's a lot there, and uh, a lot of different threads you know I think you know, I think what what I'm starting to believe so that back to my analogy with the rope, right, like if we're all one and let's say we we split off into these different fragments of consciousness, we have our own experience of of an own perspective of God, but we're all all like one, like in the depth of my consciousness, like taking away all the stories of who I think I am and who the identity of Joe is. And this is why going through the big death process of letting go of such a massive identity of who I thought I was was such a powerful experience because it forced me to go deep into who I am and getting to the point of Holy cow, like the very deepest level, me and you are, are the same thing. And there's these stories of who we think we are that are built up on top of that. And so what i believe as a collective humanity is and I, I and it talks about this in the joseph communications as well is we're we're all a part of this fall experiment if you will and mm-hmm. when you start waking up and you start connecting to that christ consciousness in your heart it creates this this desire to be of service this this loving you as if you are me and I am you. And when you get to that level of consciousness, there's this knowing that it's not about me just ascending and leaving everybody behind. It's about me loving so deeply humanity and everybody I come in contact with with such an open heart because I know who they are underneath all of the pain, all the suffering, all the disconnection, all the scarcity, all the fear, all the trauma, all the wounding. It's like I can see and feel your heart because I know I've been there. I'm I'm here for you. And I truly believe as souls, as spirits, none of us are fully able to just ascend and like leave this experience through that death rebirth process until every last soul as a as a collective conscious, you know, multi perspective organism, being energy field, whatever you want to call it decides together to, to to heal so profoundly that we're just deeply connected to our hearts. And so there's the story of, you know, in Buddhist philosophy of the, the Bodhisattva, where these souls that they take a vow that they'll keep on reincarnating even though they they have, you know, the potential to ascend into these higher states of being, these higher frequencies, these higher dimensions, but they're going to choose to keep coming back and, and, and continuing to infuse this level of consciousness with so much love until every single last soul walks through the door. And so there's these courageous beings that come back over and over to hold the door open for more and more people. And, you know, I believe that's kind of what we're moving through. And back to the story of, of Jesus, it's like, if we can get to the depth of, you know, I think we ask the wrong questions. Like we, we take so much, we, we're so connected to this book that it's like, this is the word of God, this is the truth, and I'm referring to the Bible. And to even just do a little bit of research on when the Bible was written and who wrote it, and it's it's not, you know, it's interesting. And um, way after Jesus was even on earth, and um, we get so attached to the book, and, you know, I started contemplating, like, well, who is this Jesus character? you know like what was he actually teaching? who would he what would he feel like? Who would he be like to be around if he was here standing next to me right now and when I've you know connected because part of my journey like I had so much resistance to to Christ and the Word Jesus and the Word God and the Bible because of my upbringing and it just created so much fear and shame and judgment that I had turned away from it pretty mm-hmm. radically, and my curiosities and desire to seek truth for myself led me to you know, reading about all these different ancient, you know, religions and philosophies and Eastern mysticism and yoga practices and plant medicine and shamanism. And, but never, I got never, I know Jesus, no, no, I ain't going to touch that. <laughs> and, uh, it actually was my dad, um, I mean, my desire to reconnect with my dad and understanding like if I'm going to have, if I'm going to connect with him with some of these things that are really resonating with within my heart and expansion of my awareness and consciousness and you know, dropping into the love I have, it's like, I got to speak his language. And so that actually got me into, okay, well, who is Jesus? How can I heal some of these resistances I have to this, the words that they use,
1: Mm. like the
0: Holy Spirit and all these things. And so I started really expanding my awareness and understanding of who Jesus was. What did he teach? What was he actually trying to uh, convey and and embody? And I get to a point, I was like, oh man, this guy was just he was just embodying the presence of loving, like this loving frequency. Like he was, he was just embodying that Christ consciousness within himself. And he he didn't judge anyone. He loved them so fully. And there's all these stories of like these these, these healings that Jesus did. It's like if you've ever been seen somebody that's just like super tapped in and super present and super loving, and they walk into a room and you're just like, Man, there's like that. Wh- why am I drawn to that person? Like, what what is it about him? It's like they just carry a frequency. And if you think of that on like a like a like a more expanded heart centered present, like to the nth degree. Like, imagine Jesus walking in, just like fully embodied. Like he looks at you, and you're just like, whoa! Like he like I could just feel the love radiating off of him what's that going to do with all the science coming out? Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Joe Dispenza's work with like, he does these coherence healings and like a lot of tracking and science around the frequency and the vibration that we hold in our emotional state and how, you know, me and you are having this conversation and we're dropping into coherence. So like if I can hold a loving frequency within my heart and be in the presence of others and like really see them and love them because I'm so present with them, that carries a frequency that could potentially really bring that person into coherence with my frequency. And so when I think about Jesus and these healings, it's like he's not like laying hands on people and has magic powers. He's embodying such a loving presence and a frequency that when he walk you walk into his auric field, like boom. If you're there and ready to receive and like you look at him and you feel like holy cow, it's like that can realign your cells and your disease and everything into this healed state of being and I think that's really fascinating and I think it's something that we all have the capability and power to embody within ourselves dropping into the heart but it's it's some deep work because there's a lot of forgiveness there's a lot of letting go there's a lot of programming there's a lot of collective wounding not not just to say your own individual traumatic experiences and unconscious patternings that you've grown up with through your own personal experience of life but there's these collective traumas and and woundings and war and programming and opportunities. it's it's deep it's a lot and it's heavy but it's 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 it takes a lot of courage to show up and take it on and i I see a lot of people beginning to embody that courage, and it's you don't have to do it alone like that's the one thing with Jesus like he showed up and he fucking like anchored it in for humanity, like you know, and there's a couple other like ascended master type soul, like the Buddha, like same thing, like they all were just embodying this frequency, and we're at this point now where we don't have to do it alone, like there's so many people that are starting to like connect with their hearts and connect with what really matters and like the love and the unity and we're all in this together and so there's communities and allies and tribes all coming together and it's like okay how do we show up and continue to to connect into this coherent field of presence and love and bring more and more people in and I think that's when you talk about like a great awakening like that's what's what's taking place and it's really really quite
1: exciting this episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by the official Traveling to Consciousness app, available on the iOS and Google Play Store. On this app, you're going to get exclusive content from articles to meditations to anything else that Clayton is going to put out. Here is the also where you're going to find the only place to find the ad-free versions of the podcast. You're also going to be able to get the podcast at an earlier dates than normal the free release version of it. So traveling to consciousness podcast app. I highly suggest that you download it because it's the only way that I suggest that you listen to it. And what's even better is that the company is always making updates. So please let me know if you personally have a recommendation and we can get that in there. So remember, download the traveling to consciousness app so that you can get early releases. You can get the video format, you can get it ad free and so much more. It's It's so exciting. And, and I'm seeing a really interesting parallel between our stories and, but let's, let's hone in on yours here with this idea of like, you know, dropping into that heart center, right. This vibration. And I'm going to take you back and take this conversation and take it back to whenever you realize like you were no longer ready for the, or not ready for the NFL. You were no longer going to be an NFL athlete. Like you knew this was like your last year when you started telling, you know, your ex fiance, your parents, your, even your agent, like, okay, like I'm done, you know, like this is it. And you know, that, that to me, it seems like, and of course correct me where I'm wrong on these things, but to me, it seemed like you were speaking so much from your heart that it was radiating out. And, um, and it was almost as if there was this shell around you that was labeled as NFL player. And that, that, That knowledge of that internal knowledge of it no longer being a part of your external reality almost kind of shattered that outside veil. And it seems to me that the people around you, from your ex fiancee to your parents, quote unquote, no longer knew you, right? They who they thought Joe was no longer existed. And so, how do you kind of see or even work through, you know, that? let's say that frequency shift that started within you that then even disrupted your outside world right like like i think if if someone's listening to this like that could probably be like a fear of someone's right like i'm going to lose friends if i am being more authentic to myself and i know i've seen that in my life where the more authentic i am to myself it's lost some people along the way so i mean you know what was that experience like for you and you know it kind of even ties into your courage like how did you find the courage to even kind of move through
0: that,, mm. yeah, there's a lot coming up for me here, so let me see if I can bring in a through thread because it's like yeah, I'll start with with my fiance and this initial experience and then kind of lead it through this deeper fear of rejection, which I believe is a seed that lives within all of us of of this fear of rejection, and I'll get more into to why that is my own personal experience but to your point it takes a it takes a tremendous amount of courage and with my experience with my fiance you know it wasn't just this you know we were together for five years and got engaged and just really deeply intertwined and I think with a lot of relationships um it's quite fascinating how I found uh whether you believe this or not or if you've recognized it within your own relationships uh, or these own patterns yet but more than likely I um pretty confident to say that you're going to attract uh in a partner a reflection of some type of dynamic that your parents embodied or went through and um so with me and my my ex-fiance uh we got to a point where you know I was a super insecure guy uh I was an offensive lineman I was you know 300 plus pounds and had some body dysmorphia stuff still deal with that after losing you know 60 70 pounds and we can get into that as well, but it just wasn't like a, you know, although I was an NFL player, and made all this money like that, I had some deep insecurities and some deep shame. And it was all tied up into a lot of different things. You know, the religion being one of them, society, culture, all of it. And it got to a point where as I made, I, you know, I told my fiance like this is gonna be my last year playing and she wasn't super supportive. It, it brought up this, this pattern that we had been experiencing our entire relationship. And, um, really the breaking point was, you know, we went to a couple of different therapy sessions and I got to a point where I understood like, I'm, I'm not able to share my feelings without it being turning into this big fight. And, mm. you know, sitting with the therapist was like bringing awareness to like, okay, I need to be able to share the little things and practice with the little things that are maybe not in alignment with me, or maybe they hurt my feelings. And, Uh, low leverage situations to to share um so that i can practice because otherwise if i hold it in and i don't share those things that hurt my feelings it it builds up within me as resentment and then it gets to a point where i can no longer hold it in and then it's like a big blow up and i'm sure a lot of people listening to this have experienced this and so it's like okay little thing uh she said she was gonna do the dishes when i got home and they weren't done and this is like obviously a novel like little not like low leverage thing it's like okay instead of not saying anything and being like, Oh, she said she was going to do the dishes and she didn't and like next time she doesn't do the dishes and it like builds up instead of just being like, Hey, you said you're going to do the dishes. Can you do it? And so I, I was like, okay, I'm going to practice that. But then what would happen is I'd go, Hey, you said you're going to do the dishes and, and, uh, you didn't. And then it would turn into this huge fight because she would get defensive and like her patterning and like all of that come, would come up and it would turn into this huge blow up. And I'm like, I can't get this right. You know, like, I'm trying to practice these little things, but then it would turn into this big thing. And so that would create the story of like, I just won't say anything if it's a little thing, because it's mm. not that big a deal. So we got to a point, anyway, I'm painting all that picture because we got to a point where I was, you know, probably halfway through my final season and I was sitting down and and we, I was trying to practice this thing and and like a similar experience. I don't remember exactly what it was that happened and she blew up at me and I felt so defeated And so, like, shut down. And I had this moment of, man, I'm just going to, I'm just not going to say anything. Like, I was, I gave up. It was this feeling of giving up. Like, I'm just not going to ever say how I feel because it's just not worth it. It turns into this huge thing. And in that moment, I had this whole flash forward of what my life would turn out. Like, (laughs) like right before my eyes. And I saw me sitting in as my dad sitting in front of my mom like 20 30 years before and how he had a similar choice right in that moment of i'm going to give up and be defeated and i said no i i'm not going to make that choice i can make a different choice here and i love this woman so much but i can i can't and i don't know if i had the language for it at this time but i can only Love somebody to the extent that I love myself, and I love this woman more than I love myself, and I'm willing to like just give up my vibrancy, my life, my future, like everything I want to create, because I love this woman, and I don't want to hurt her. So I'm just gonna like not care about how I feel. And I was like, no, I need to, I need to make a different choice. And that was the like the the anchor point of when I knew like I need to break this off, and I need to. It was one of the hardest things I ever had to do, was like ripping my own heart out.
1: As a quick and, a quick question, did did you ever ask your dad if that was a, a thing that he had to encounter or like overcome in his life or like something that like that that vision that you had, did you ever confirm with him or ask him about that?
0: Yeah, so me and my dad don't have a super tight relationship. He's and I can get into more of that as well. Um, but we never really discussed it. I I, I think the way I could paint some context for that is I had these moments when I was like in high school and I was younger where my mom is a little bit, you know, she's emotionally manipulative and emotionally abusive, I would say, and, um, a little bit narcissistic. And, um, so that entered that dynamic. Like I, I saw it so clearly in my dad and I had, you know, a lot of people in high school, like their parents get divorced and it's a really challenging thing. I had this story. I remember when I was in high school, it's was like, I, I would respect my dad more if he got a divorce because then he would actually stand up for himself. But it was like, every time I wanted to do something, I like go to my dad like go ask your mom, go ask your mom, and he'd always like. So it's like it was like my, like my dad didn't have any say in our family right. dynamic. Like my mom was the king of the household, and so as a as a, a son, like I wanted that connection with my dad. Like dad, like let's father son this thing. Like, but I never had that, and mm-hmm. so that's how that affected me. Is my mom? It was always about my mom. And so seeing that in my relationship was like this woman is a, a little bit narcissistic and she's a little bit emotionally manipulative and abusive. And and it's it's interesting how people find each other with these patterns. And on a spiritual level, like we're just mirrors so that we can see these things as reflections so that we can work on them within ourselves. And so the challenge there, and I think this is where a lot of people get stuck, is you have to go – on your own journey of self discovery, you can't, you can't be a victim of like, this person's doing to this, this to me, like, there's something within me that's allowing this to happen. And the boundary is like, I need to sh- sever this connection. And there, until I sever that connection, it, it, it will create actually create an opportunity of maybe we can come back together. But if we stay in the energy dynamic, it's never going to get resolved or healed. And I think if I'm, you know, obviously, these patterns still come up with me and my my wife now they're a little bit more subtle and we have more awareness so that we can come together and like, okay, there's something off here. Like let's grow together and work on it together. At that point in that relationship, it was like, you know, I was so attached to this beautiful woman that like, and I didn't, I was scared of being abandoned and like all these different woundings that came in. And so I'd made that decision to, to break it off because I didn't want to end up like my dad. And I knew that, I had to figure out who I am. And I realized, like, how can I expect these people in my life to love me for who I am when I don't even know who I am? And so I was able to, like, really connect with that and go on this journey of, like, I need to figure out who I am before I get into any type of relationship with anyone and and who is Joe Hawley underneath this identity of a football player. And until I figured that out, I couldn't expect anybody else in my life to figure that out for me,
1: you know? Right. And I think, I think there was also, there there was also a moment or maybe two moments. Uh, I know one in particular, I'm not sure which point it was in your timeline, but whenever you were essentially the 54th man on the roster and they like called you into the office to cut you. And I remember you talking about this, there was a moment there and I'd love to hear your words of it, but you actually vocalizing it and how it actually prolonged your NFL career
0: yeah st- standing up for
1: myself for the first time yeah i mean so to to paint that picture do you think was that was really the cool. first time that you ever stood up for yourself i guess also
0: yeah there was probably a few moments like definitely the biggest turning point where that experience was cuz i think every like the first gr- great awakening everybody has to go through every like the first one is taking responsibility for where you're at in life like radical responsibility. Like going from that that lens of life is happening to me to life is happening for me. And that that shift right there is 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 so profound. And it's it's the initial thing that like if you're if you if you think you're a victim of your circumstance and every, like you can everybody goes through all sorts of different things. But until you start taking responsibility and back to my story with my fiance, like I could have either given up and been like, oh I'm just like this is just my life. But taking responsibility was the hardest decision in that moment. It was like, i ha- if I'm taking responsibility, I have to actually pull myself out of this relationship and destroy, like, th- all of, of my connections to relationships by, like, disconnecting myself, not just from the relationship, but from football and all of that, that took into that. And so this was my initial, and there's, like, little things that happened throughout my career was, like, my ego and football would get a little bit too big because I was always, you know, the best player on the team and, like, Sometimes I act like my shit doesn't stink, and my coach would have to give me like a kind of a little bit of a a ego check. And so there's like these little things, but this was like the biggest moment. What happened was, you know, I go into my third year, the starting center was set to, to retire. Uh, He was a 14 year vet and they, they drafted me to kind of replace him. And that's the story I had. And so I was kind of waiting for him to retire and not really going out and taking the job and like earning the job and it was just you know this young player just like okay I'm here and this guy has been around a long time so I'm gonna wait and so he was set to retire and going into that off offseason uh, I was the number one center on the roster and I was just creating this narrative of like okay it's my job like I'm gonna do this thing I'm gonna have my own 10 plus year career and and this is it that's what I've been waiting for and going into that year's draft, um you know I'll kind of summarize the story is we ended up drafting the the top center in the in college football, and it felt like the rug was ripped out from under me, and that created this this downward kind of victim spiral where you know I was kind of blaming everyone else, pointing the finger like the strength coach doesn't like me, the head coach doesn't really understand like they're going to figure it out at some point because this guy's not as good as me. And just like this, this projection and this victim mindset not led to, you know, alcohol abuse, you know, taking pills. And, you know, I think my, my, my definition of, of uh, abusing those types of things is so much different now. It wasn't like super destructive, but I was definitely using these things to cope in an unhealthy way. And I mean, in a way that back then I, I would say it was destructive. And uh, the fact that I was just like, numbing out I started showing up uh in my body language and the way i was showing up to the facility and ended up leading to me getting suspended for a ped drug test and got suspended for four games and so it was just like on this downward spiral i was like okay when i got suspended it was like this awakening of okay like wow i gotta really like pull myself out of here like this is not not leading in the right direction and so when you referred to the the 54 men on the roster so those that watch football there's 53 people on the roster but when someone gets suspended when I came back from my suspension for that week, the team has fifty four is able to have fifty-four on the roster to make a decision. So they don't have to make a decision, excuse me, right away. They can feel into because when I was suspended, they brought in another uh practice squad guy from a different team to replace me on the roster for those four weeks. So when I came back, they got to make a decision and they had made the decision that they were going to cut me. And when I went into the uh into the front office, you know, this is week Week fifteen or sixteen, we're we're like twelve and two at the time, gonna be the number one seed in the playoffs, like having a very successful year. All the while, like I feel disconnected from the team, I'm depressed, I don't feel like I'm contributing because I'm on the sidelines. And so I didn't get to really feel a part of that that run and that success. And, you know, I went into this uh this meeting where they were gonna cut me and I knew what was gonna happen. And so going in there, I'm like, I'm gonna tell them like how i feel like i'm not just going to like roll over and take this like i'm a good football player and they just don't see that and nobody's really communicated with me what i'm like what's going on cuz nobody like said hey joe like you look like your body language kind of shitty like you're kind of on this downward trajectory like is is something is everything okay like nobody presented that to me or came and like worried about me it was just like i felt like isolated alone that's one of the issues i think with with the nfl as part of a bigger kind of systemic cultural thing within the NFL of, of not really communicating in that way. And I think that's a part of a bigger societal issue that we face. It's just a microcosm within the NFL. So I went in kind of prepared to speak my mind and something really fascinating happened when I sat down and they, they said the words, like I knew it was coming, but they're like, Joe, we've decided we're going to let you go. And in that moment, it was like, Oh, I was, I was flooded with this feeling of regret. And that regret was like all of that victim mindset of like pointing the finger, like it's this person doesn't like me, this person doesn't know. And like outside of myself, what that regret did was like it flooded all of that energy back into myself.
1: Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God,
0: like this feels so icky because I knew that I I didn't do the things I knew I needed to do to be my best. There was things that immediately came into mind of like, oh, I could have worked harder. I could have shown up and practiced harder. I could have tried to improve my leadership. I could have ate better. Like all these things started going in. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be on the, on the street, squandered my dream. And nobody, nobody gives a fuck. And I'm going to be sitting with all this feelings of regret. Like, I don't like this. And so I was able to speak my mind for the first time, which was like an out of body experience. Cause it was just like, I'm on the way out. There's, there's, there's nothing to lose at this point. And so I asked them a question. I said, you know, if, you guys are going to be the number one seed in the playoffs. And if the starting center gets hurt in the first round, would you trust this new guy that you brought in to take you to the Super Bowl? Or would you trust me? And they sat with that for a little bit. They're like, I guess we'll have to trust the other guy. I'm like, okay. So I went through the whole cut process and about 15 minutes into it, I was about to sign the last papers. They call me back into the office and they said, Joe, we thought about what you said and we're going to keep you on the, on the roster as the 53rd man. And you're going to have to work your way back up but we're going to give you a second chance. And in that moment, everything in my life changed because I promised myself like there's going to be a day when I'm no longer playing this game that I love, but I do not want to feel any ounce of regret that I could have given it more. And I want to walk away on my own terms. And so I ended up really like going into that off season and like shifted everything. Like I was the first one in the weight room. I was working hard. My mindset, it was like my first experience of like, becoming the creator of my reality and shifting my circumstance, not being a victim of my circumstance, but really showing up and trying to shift them. And there's still a lot of ups and downs, but it changed my foundational belief that I'm going to do everything I can. And if that's not good enough, I can live with that, but at least I'm going to try. And I ended up playing another five years. I started in another 35 games and made enough money to ended up, you know, retiring when I did.
1: That's crazy. And you feel like that was that was the biggest point where you're like, oh, I need to stand up for myself. Like this is this is going to change everything.
0: Yeah, and part of that responsibility piece was like, you know, going into that off season is when I, uh, you know, we had a I, I was blessed enough to play with uh, one of the greatest tight ends ever to play the game of football, which is his name's Tony Gonzalez. He played 17 years. He's the first ballot Hall of Famer, and that season he was retiring and his um, final game of his career we didn't it was the it was the following year and he uh, I think we were like I don't know four and twelve or something we ended up missing the playoffs and so his final game um, the Saturday before the game he got up and he wasn't a big rah-rah speech guy but he like felt called to because he had such an illustrious career to say a few words to the team and he basically talked about how he found success in his life and why he made it so far and he said he said three things that had a direct impact on his life and his success. And I forget what the other two were. There was probably one where around it was around taking responsibility, I'm sure it was <laughs> fascinating that we are talking about that. But one of the things out of these three things that he, he swore by, one of them was reading books. And I was like, I found that fascinating. Like reading books is why this hmm. guy's so successful and he's gonna be in the hall of fame. And it's like, is that even tied to like his athletic ability? And so yeah, catch a f- book football with a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I text him uh, that offseason. I said, hey, man, like part of me taking responsibility, like if, if I want to be the best version of me and this guy is telling me what made him the best version of him, then I got to I got to figure this out. And So I text him. and I'm like, hey, man, like curious, like what are some books that I should read that have had an impact on your life? And he shared a few different books. But one of the books he shared with me was the first book I read from start to finish it was called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. And it was the one. Kind Of shared, it. did I share about that
1: earlier? Yeah, we talked about it briefly. Yeah. We
0: talked about it briefly. Yeah, so that book like changed my life and um, it started opening my mind and it, it led me on this path. Like the initial awakening of it wasn't, it wasn't really the taking responsibility was not like a spiritual thing at, at that time. Like, I, I wouldn't connect it to anything, Like it was just going from things putting things outside myself to like okay, I like bringing it back in. But that's what led me on this path of like curiosity, open-mindedness, and how do I like continue to improve? And that's what led me down this path of really where I'm at now, which is like, whoa, like radical responsibility and accessing these deeper, deeper levels.
1: Um, Yeah. It's pretty crazy. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Mushy Love. Mushy Love is a latte type blendable mushroom caffeine free elixir that honestly tastes like a liquid cinnamon roll and i know that you're going to find that on their website but it's honestly true it's stacked with more than twice the amount of mushrooms as any other mushroom latte and i know that there's one in particular that we all think about which kind of starts with the word mud but this one blows that one out of the water i highly highly recommend if you even try that one to just give this one a shot and i promise you that you will not you will not be sorry because i just uh it's so good it's honestly so good and i want to get to a place where i can actually just they send me these all the time for free so please go and buy it because if you buy more then they'll start sending me more and it's just honestly a win-win because it tastes amazing like even in water so even if you're cutting even if you don't want to like put milk in or coffee with it you can just do it plain in water and it's so freaking good guys go click the sponsors link below scroll down to mushy love buy your pack today remember promo code clayton promo code I I can't even talk right now. Promo code Clayton at checkout for 10% off your purchase. Mushy love mushrooms shouldn't have to taste like mud. Give yourself some mushy love. And my mind's going back now because I feel like we we took this third pretty far. And I think, I think there's a bow here that we need to put on, which is about the grief aspect in regards to uh, the way that the external world was putting you in a box, let's say, or putting you in the skin of... NFL player, the mold of NFL player, this is who he is. Right. And, and I think we touched on it a little bit, but I feel like there was still a little, a little something, right. Because we were talking about how men, men specifically don't deal with their grieving. We don't deal with our processing of especially disidentification with a very manly thing, right. Being an NFL player. So what, what, I mean, maybe if there's tools or even can you help us to under help me to understand like how did grieving help in releasing the attachment of that persona and then I mean even more being okay with releasing the people who are closest to you? Yeah, there's a
0: there's a lot here, right? Cause we talked about a little bit about the the emotions we carry in our in our soma in the in the somatic experience and, and where we store emotions when they're unprocessed and so I think the best way to talk about it is from a personal experience and story and one of my biggest kind of traumatic experiences of my life and and how that stuff gets stored in the unconscious and you don't really realize how it affects your life and how it affects your every day and, and your pattern and your triggers and and it's this deeper excla- exploration and healing process that we all need to go on of of really excavating some of this stuff and there's also a a trust of when the time is right this this stuff will be presented but then having the tools to actually go into it and not keep suppressing it and so <clears throat> I'll share an experience um that I'm only now recently um able to really even talk about publicly um So when I was 19, I had this experience happen to me. Um, And, you know, I went to this session with this woman who's kind of, she's a psychosomatic, um, spiritual kind of healer, psychologist. It's like kind of all these like different therapeutic models into one. And um, I, I laid on her table and she was recommended to me. And she does this really, like she taps into to kind of your spirit, your higher self, and is able to communicate. She does this like weird muscle testing thing where she can like communicate uh, basically with your body and with your psyche and with your unconscious. And she's like, oh, this is interesting. She's like, immediately right when I lay down, I don't know this woman at all. She says, oh, something happened when you were 19 that affected your leadership journey. And the fact that she said leadership journey is really fascinating because she doesn't know me, but this has been a big part of my my kind of life path is, is learning how to lead. And so I'm thinking, so I sit there and <clears throat> part of this thing is like, she's not telling me, like she's allowing me to explore my own unconscious. And so I'm like, I go in and I'm like, okay, what happened when I was 19? And immediately there was this moment that happened with my mom when I was playing football and I was like, ah, oh, no, and it was fascinating. My ego was like,
1: no, that's <laughs> not, that
0: can't be it. Like, and so I tried to find, I kind of searched my unconscious and like, blank, 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 and it kept leading back to no, this is it, this is it. And so I told her, I was like, I think there was this thing that happened when I was nineteen um with my mom and football. And then she kinda of did her little muscle test, to like check in. She was like, Yep, that's it. She's like, what happened? And I was like, okay. When I was nineteen, it's my sophomore year of college and I was growing my hair out. And one of my roommates had, had long hair. And you know, he was like kind of Rico suave and he was really cool. And I was like, I want I want to grow my hair out, you know, and this is like my second year outside the house. I'm eighteen like really stepping into my own you know freedom and sovereignty and like outside of outside of my my parents household and i'm in college so i'm growing my hair out and it's kind of getting to that just past the ugly stage and i could put it into a bun but i couldn't put it into a full ponytail yet and Mm -hmm. so during spring training my parents were visiting and i had my hair up in a bun to keep it out of my eyes when i was had my football helmet on and it's like sweaty and hot out there and so i was just keeping it up and my mom had said multiple times like she's like you need to you need to cut your hair. Like it looks gross. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you you shouldn't do it. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter. Like I'm my own man now. And so I think there was like, obviously a power dynamic here of like my mom. For sure. Not able to let her kid kind of step into himself. And, you know, I didn't know this at the time. I'm, I'm young. I'm still a kid. And so I'm watching after one of the practices I'm watching. We're in the big team auditorium as an offensive line, watching film from the practice on the big screen. And this is my sophomore year going into my junior season. So I'm, I'm a starter. I've started my whole sophomore year. I was a low player my freshman year too. So I was becoming one of the leaders on the team. Mm. So a lot of the players looked up to me. I was one of the best players on the team at this point. And I'm watching film and all of a sudden I feel this hand come up behind me, grab my hair and scissors come and my hair gets cut off. Oh no. And I turn around and my mom's standing there with my hair in her hand. And my dad's standing next to her and I stand up and I have this experience. Like I, I just, I stand up and I want to punch my mom in the face. Like I'm just like raging and it's a really confusing moment because this is a, this is my mom. Like this is a woman I love like deeply. I was a mama's boy growing up and I want to like hurt her physically mm-hmm. really bad, but I can't cause I love her. And so it's just really confusing. And then I like slowed down and like, so that initial rage, like I suppressed real quick cause I didn't know how to express it. And then all of a sudden my team, all my teammates started laughing. So then I felt humiliated. I'm like, oh man, like this is like humiliating. Like I don't know what to do. My mom's here. Why is she here? And then I look at my coach and then I felt deep betrayal. Like, this is supposed to be a safe space for me to be with my team. Like, why is my parent, like my mom and my dad even in here? Why are they allowed in here? And so I like looked at my coach and he obviously had let them in. And maybe they talked about it beforehand and they thought it was a big joke. So I was like feeling like, Betrayed, humiliated, like reject, like all the wounds wrapped up in one, and I just sat down and I just like closed off, and I just I just stood there, right? I just sat there in my own internal world. My mom was like, "Oh, like she was trying to like say like, oh, it's like it's just a joke, it's not that big a deal," and I just like didn't say anything, and I just sat there, and then I ended up walking out. And back to this this session with this woman, I was taking her through this, and she she took me through a process of you know it's it's similar to like like a reparenting, right? So this this trauma lived deep in my unconscious. I hadn't really thought about it because it was too much energy to even like think about. I could talk about it from like this dissociated third person kind of perspective. like. And that was the fascinating thing too is like when as I've gone on this healing journey, a lot of us look to like when I was five or six years old or seven years old, like I don't have a lot of childhood memories. So like maybe maybe something traumatic happened to me, but I don't know, like let me go explore this one was when I was 19, I was fully aware that it happened to me, but because it was so intense and tra- traumatic at the time, like I, I wasn't able to access the emotions that I felt, but I could talk about it from this, this head place. And so what this woman, this therapist uh, helped me process was, okay, what were you feeling? Like, how did that, how does that 19 year old part of yourself feel? And when I was able to like create safety within myself and with this woman facilitating this experience, I was allow, allowing that, that emotion to come to the surface. And I just broke into this deep grieving process, like all that anger, all that rage, all that energy that I wasn't able to process in time started coming to the surface. And I just started like wailing and crying. And it was just super, super intense. And in that process of just feeling those emotions, <clears throat> I felt all this unconscious resentment and anger that I had towards my mom that I didn't even know because part of the question was like, why, am I, why do I feel so disconnected from my mom? Like Why does she trigger me so much? And what I realized is this experience had created this unconscious resentment towards her that was always underlying our relationship. And because I was able to feel in those, that emotional grieving process, like I felt the, the resentment and anger like dissipating. And it turned into forgiveness. I was like, oh, and then compassion for like, oh, my mom, my mom didn't like, didn't know like, didn't realizing like she did that because of her own wounding and her own trauma. And like, I was able to like, really start forgiving because I was able to feel these emotions. And, you know, this woman was able to support me and like, okay, what, what did you need in that moment that you didn't receive? You know, I was like, well, I I just, I needed a hug. I needed someone to tell me like, it's okay. Like you're safe. And. And I was able to offer that to myself. And so I comforted that part of myself with, with the tools that I had in that moment, not in that moment of when I was 19, but when I, you know, this happened probably like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And so I was able to like re-parent and re-nurture myself and give myself the comfort and safety that I wasn't receiving obviously from my coach, my teammates, my parents in that moment. And all that emotion was like, was a deep, deep process. And it was very, very healing and my mom didn't need to be there for that to happen it was a forgiveness of her for through the emotional process that i was moving through and what was really beautiful about that is i was able to tell my mom about it like uh, a few weeks later i was sitting down with her i was like hey i I want to tell you about something like remember when 19 when you uh when you cut my hair off in front of everyone and you know i went to this you know, I, I called her a therapist because that's language that my mom would understand. Um, she's sure. a little bit more than that. There's like a spiritual component. But because my mom's belief structure of Christianity and stuff, like I wanted to just make it really normalized. I was like, I went to this therapist and she helped me access that experience and how it affected me. And I was able to share it with my mom in this very like forgiving and free way where it wasn't like, there wasn't un, any unconscious, like, why did you do that to me? It was like pure forgiveness. And I just shared, I was like, I was able to feel the emotions that came up within me. And it was really hard. And And uh, I just want you to know, like, I love you and I forgive you. And my mom was just like crying and like, you know, she, she I held space for her. as She like processed like all the guilt and shame that she was carrying unconsciously because she did that to me and because she hurt me. And she knew that that was not something that she, she probably regretted. And she texted me later that night on her way home and she's like, Hey, I just want you to know, like, I feel so much lighter and I feel in a way free of that because, you know, and that's how forgiveness works. A lot of us think like, you know, forgiveness is like the person needs to say sorry to me or they need to own what they did. But because I was able to feel those emotions and forgive her for what she did, she was able to let go of the guilt and regret and shame that she felt at least a little bit, you know, like, uh, let a little bit of the steam out and, that experience that we went through together is, you know, is is no longer between us. And I think there's a lot of other deeper layers that we're continuing to work through, but I think that's a, a good story to kind of encapsulate the, the, the grieving process that and the healing process that it's, it's very complex and nuanced and and it's unique to all of us. And these, these experiences that we have that live in our unconscious that we don't even know are there being able to go to a therapy session or a psychosomatic, you know, breath works really good for this, like releasing emotional stored up energy. And sometimes we need to feel energy that we don't even have a story of why it's there. You know, like we go to a breath work, I've had an experience where I've, you know, accessed, you know, emotional releases through breath work that I don't have a, a story of why I'm feeling grief, but in the process of grieving, I feel lighter. It's very cathartic. And so there's just a lot of power and being able to, to learn how, and, and develop the tools to really feel our emotions and the depth of emotions. And when you go into a deep grieving process, it's, it's, the, it's very vulnerable. And if, if you're not doing it, that's why it's important to seek out, you know, professionals who can create a safe, sacred space for you to, to access it. Because when you go into it, it's, it's a very vulnerable experience.
1: This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Conscious Technologies, LLC talk about an aligned company name this company creating technology that will revolutionize the way that humanity is able to resonate or vibrate with the electromagnetic frequency of your phone of your wi-fi router of the light bulbs in your house of really anything what they do is they have created these amazing minerals amazing units that you can either place on the back of your phone you can wear it as a necklace or they even have like little in-house generators if you will that can unify the entire field of an entire house. I've experienced these things in person and I unequivocally can tell you that it does something and it helps you feel more present, more calm and more connected to the spiritual dimension if you will. And I highly recommend that you also check out episode number zero, three, four, where I actually talked to one of the co-founders and it, it blew my mind away. One of my favorite episodes where we actually get into how he creates it, why it's created. And you know, if this wasn't enough of a sell for you, go check out that episode because I know that it will sell you after that conscious technologies, LLC, harmonizing the planet one person at a time. Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, thanks for sharing that. Cause I know, I know the power. I mean, I was kind of taken there. I started tearing up a little bit, so I was definitely taken to that place that you were. And I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing. That. I mean, that's deeply vulnerable. I mean, I can see how much I can feel how much energy was behind that, how much of an imprint that, especially whenever it's a story to the point of you're 19 years old and don't even remember it. Like that's something that, you know, you're getting to another layer of even understanding yourself or, um, the world around you, if you will. And, and I mean, I think it's even more beautiful because it touches on the butterfly effect, which when it's like, when you heal something, you kind of heal the world of it. All right. And then you going through the process of even helping your mom through it's like, Hey, like, you know, I know you were operating with the best tools you had, you know, you had your programming that brought you into this situation that, you know, now I'm here to show you that it's okay. Like we can move on from it. We can heal this patch, you know, and keep moving forward. And I think that that's, you know, and maybe we can, we can kind of get this to a, maybe a little bit more esoteric of almost like that's, it feels like at some level, that's what we're all here to do at some level. We're here to help somebody else help other people. And, and I know at some level, like even starting this podcast, it's like, you know, how do I know what I'm doing is even helping anyone? It's like, okay, well, you're helping yourself. You're learning something about yourself. I'm like, okay, cool. And then it's like, even that, you know, at some level, like sharing that story is going to help somebody else to help them to open up and even see their world in a new way. And, and it even seems like there's, there's even something, and this might be even the more esoteric is like how we feel lighter after allowing those things to we we like forgive them or we like, you know, grieve through them. We process them, you know, that ability to relax the nervous system in some aspect of the world. And, and and it's kind of goes back to how we store all this stuff throughout the body. Cause I know one of my big uh, processes that I moved through was like this sexual trauma I had when I was a kid. And And you know you you, like think about it but you're like oh it it didn't really matter it wasn't really a big deal like that that happened but it's like it's okay that it happened i know that's wrong but it's like once you fully process it like that lightness and Mm. and it seems that there's at least something there with you know feeling lighter in a sense metaphorically and maybe even literally brings you closer to heaven it brings you closer to that angelic state and and even just to tie this back into the Bible, or even this esoteric nature, it's like that if you're able to continuously let those things go or to you know maybe heal those karmic imprints in a way it it like brings you to that higher place and and I think like we probably at a micro scale probably feel these every single day, but whenever you have like a a huge one like that where it's like this huge imprint and you just release it instantaneously you feel that, that shift upwards that you feel that shift towards being more of God, of soul, of spirit, kind of quicker in your body. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things here. I think one of the things you said of, you know, when we look at past experiences from our level of consciousness now, it's like, we can, we can justify like, ah, it's not, that wasn't that big a deal. Like if that happened to me now, like, like I would just, (laughs) I'd laugh at it. It wasn't, wasn't, like it's not a traumatic thing to me now but you know when you're six eight, nine, nineteen, 19 even and you don't have the tools to process that experience in that moment that imprint still lives within you and you need to work on it from the level of consciousness that you went through it at and so if you're six years old and you go through something that it wouldn't affect you when you're older but it, it like imagine the level of a six-year-old like not feeling safe in whatever experience or feeling even just uncomfortable or you know something as simple as you know when you're a kid and your parents leave for the weekend and you stay at your grandma's and your grandma's a little weird and you don't really like it and like you feel like your parents abandon you like you can think about as a parent in leaving your kid you're like oh it's like not that big a deal we'll be back soon honey you know and it's like but that gets stored in the unconscious of like that level of Feeling isolated, alone, abandoned, like is very real for that part of you that still lives within your unconscious. And so I just want to speak to that because I think it's really important that when you're, when you're going on this healing journey to like really be patient and compassionate with yourself and to know that these, even the, the most seemingly trivial experience can still imprint in a very powerful way. And, you know, talking about, you know, circling back to what we were talking about earlier with like, what is it to access freedom? you know what does freedom really mean and you know freedom isn't something that is is outside yourself like freedom is really letting go of of these these and healing these deeper experiences and so going through that grieving process i didn't even know how much that experience was really affecting my relationship with my mom my mom obviously but like my leadership journey like circling back to that like i felt so much shame and like just really embarrassed in front of all my teammates that that affected my entire leadership journey for the rest of my football career into the NFL. I had a fear of like, man, these people aren't going to respect me because like this thing happened to me in my unconscious. And I didn't even know that that that's what was affecting me. But there was moments in my career where I didn't I didn't lead in the way that I knew I was capable of because of this fear and this 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 unconscious pattern and experience that was affecting me. And so if you're on this path of really desiring, you know, freedom, you know, it's easy to talk about, you know, the the oppressive nature of our culture and society and, you know, individual oppression and all this stuff. And it's like, yes, you know, and, and that's another thing with this healing and how complex and nuanced it is, is like, there's those individual experiences you've gone through, but then there's also this collective wounding that we're we're all being called to heal and let go of as well and that's just some really really deep work but if you're on the path to really you know wanting to to find freedom it's it's go inward and really recognize what you're holding on to and what's what's harboring you know deep unconscious energies and resentment and anger and grief that is unprocessed and being able to go into that and feel it and let it go that's, that's how you really begin to access deeper levels
1: of, of freedom within yourself. Yeah. As being able to, and I mean, even more so, I mean, there's maybe these mental restrictions that we place on ourselves without even, you know, knowing it. I mean, for your, even within your story, right. Of how that, how that impacted your leadership journey, right. Cause it's a very specific terminology and, and it was interesting because I know in the podcast I was hearing on Kyle's, it was like, you were very much a leader in every regard. And so it, it really begs the question. It's like, well, how much even more of a leader could you have been or can you be, you know, in this, in this new path of your life? Right. Because I mean, you know, maybe you weren't, if if you were, you know, a quote unquote, better, an even better leader, let's phrase it that way in the NFL, maybe it would have lasted longer. But at the same time, it's like, can you actually fulfill your entire, let's say mission or purpose on earth? If you're in the NFL for 15 years versus like, you know, this new path that you're carving out. And, and maybe this is a good part to even transition into, because I know at one point I wanted to discuss like, okay, you climb to the top of the mountain of, of being an NFL player. And now you're not i mean maybe it was a while ago but now you kind of have to start something new right because you've got at least 30 40 years left in life and it's like okay how like this mentality of restarting new and even finding something that you love as much if not more than football like like what is what is that journey even look like from your perspective
0: yeah man this is such good little flows um yeah, I mean, a part of the the grieving process to kind of follow that thread into finding deeper purpose and meaning outside of this thing that I spent my life pursuing was you know, when when to get esoteric with grief. And I think why people are so challenged by feeling grief cuz grief naturally on the surface is like it's like a feeling of loss, it's feeling of a void. It's um uh, feeling hurt. Um, and it's, it's when we love something and we lose it, that creates grief. And so with that experience with my mom, uh, on a very foundational level, I was grieving because you know, I didn't have the tools to process that grief at the moment, but I felt hurt by my mom. Like I loved my mom. I thought she loved me. And this experience made me feel like that love was taken away and she didn't love me in the way that i thought and so back to football like i i loved the game of football so much i remember when i was younger like i was like i don't know what the big fuss is about i'd I'd play this game for the rest of my life for free you know because it was was the, the innocence and the purity and the competition and i loved the game of football and i played it with that that love and my, played it with my heart and it's what part of the reason I got so far is because I loved it so much. And when it became a business and the money was involved and the, you know, the, the having to prove myself constantly and the performance anxiety and then the physical pain and the brutality of the sport and the having to stand up for myself and telling, you know, shifting and, and having to like earn it in all these different ways. And it didn't become about the game anymore. It became about all the business involved in the game. And so part of the grieving process that I needed to go through was, you know, when I decided to walk away, I I was walking away from the business of the NFL that I believe stripped away and took away the love and the innocence I had for football. And so part of the grieving process was, um, grieving the loss of the love that I had for football because of the NFL, similar to my mom doing that to me and feeling like she didn't love me. is like, oh, the business did that to me and it, it disconnected me from the love and the innocence I had to football. And the interesting thing about grief is if you allow yourself and if you've had any deep grieving process and you fully surrender into the depth of grief and that emotion and just like, you know, not fighting the tears or like feeling the energy and like suppressing it, but like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go into this and you like dive into the grief and you allow yourself to surrender fully into it. Something really magical happens in that process. And it's what I experienced with my mom. And it's what I experienced with the process of grieving the loss of football is as I've gone into the depth of that grief within that grief lives the very love that you feel like you've lost. And so if you like to look at it as a tool if I'm feeling grief, if I can go in to that grief, that's where I'm going to find the love again. And that's where the healing takes place. And so with, my, with the experience of my mom, like as I was feeling that grief and that unconscious anger and resentment was, was, was releasing, it was like I got to the depth of this seed of love that was living within that grief. And when I got to it, it was like this radical forgiveness of all the things that were getting in the way of that love, which is what the grief is built on. And so with football, that was the same thing. It was like I need to go in and that process takes time, you know, it takes it takes some sometimes years. And I'm still, you know, just now starting to really integrate that. Like this is the first season I'm like really excited to watch the game again and like I love the game and I connecting with the the innocence and the love that I had for it. But it in order to get there, I really had to had to process process that in a deep way. Um and so yeah, your question was to like how do I find purpose and, and deeper meaning. And, you know, that's, that's been one hell of a journey. And I think that's really the journey we're we're all on. And, you know, society puts these, these ideas and this programming of, of what, you know, success looks like, what happiness looks like, what's going to make you feel fulfilled and creates this, this never ending insatiable desire to fill the void that we have living within us. With these external things and until we go on the journey of really uh uncovering and finding that truth within our own heart is we'll 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 continue to search and seek. And that searching and seeking um allowed me, you know, it's the paradox like you need to go on the journey of seeking and finding your truth in order to find that it's been within you the whole time. And so there's this paradoxical nature of that there's nothing wrong with the seeking and, and outside oneself, but you know, you have to go on that journey to get to a point where you realize no matter how long it takes that the only thing to wait, really fill that void is from within. And that is re- what's required is really self-love and loving yourself. And I was part of the process of letting go of, you know, with my relationship and my fiance is like, you know, I'm going to get to a point where, um, you know, I, I'm going to be with somebody, but I need to know that I'm not looking for them to fill a void within myself. I need to find that truth, that love, that connection, that happiness, that fulfillment within myself and not putting that weight onto somebody else to fill that void for me or whether it's a job too, or this job is going to make me feel like I have purpose. And it gets to the point of like the esoteric concept of like, it's not about what you do. It's about how you be right. And you're being, and that's a journey that I continue to oscillate through because we live in a society and culture that's constantly bombarding us with um, comparison and uh, you know money and the way the system works and the ideas of like success and so it's a, it's a constant journey and that's why the tools and the practices daily are so important and you know I'm still trying to still trying to figure it out I'm still trying to create and you know I'm getting to a point now where i'm I'm doing it from a place of of joy and creation. And I'm doing my best not to attach to the outcome of, you know, if my business fails, what does that mean about me? Like, can I create it and not be attached to what I need it to be? Because it reflects who I am and just really embodying that. And I think that moves into what I was kind of talking about earlier into this, this deep wound that I've been working on um, very recently. Uh, It was this fear of, of rejection and this rejection wound and it's been so deep and powerful and very the very foundational root of i think all of my trauma and I, I think if i look at it collectively it's a it's a shared foundational root to all of our spiritual wounding too is this this feeling of rejection and with my faith upbringing with christianity and the idea of what i was taught god is like there's a foundational part of me feeling rejected by god and rejected by the experience and because we're in separate perspectives and i talked about the story of the fall and the amnesia of forgetting that we are all divine divine connected to the divine beings is we all inherently feel this this rejection from source and this rejection from the greater self and that showed up in my and manifest in my uh my family dynamic. And so with my dad, because I never really felt connected to him, I've, I've, I was, had this fear because of their belief structure that if I showed up and was embodying my authentic self and my curiosity and all these questions, that part of me was being rejected by them. And so what that created is this fear of being rejected by others. And so it's fascinating how that affected my leadership journey as well is, is I didn't step up as a leader because I had this fear of like, if I say something and then I get rejected, uh, it's going to be really hurtful. And so what that did, that fear, and this is what fear kind of does because it wants to protect us is it manifested the very thing I was scared of. And instead of me stepping into my leadership and risking the potential of being rejected first before that could happen i just rejected myself i rejected that part of myself and so there's been this underlying story in my life unconsciously that i'm going to play small because i don't want to be rejected and that's how that showed up in my leadership journey and i had this experience just very recently it was like a few months ago when i sat down with my dad and i asked him for uh support and you know I'm, i bought this property 90 minutes outside of town and i put a lot of my resources and investing in it and remodeling it and there was a Long story short, I had uh, a big cost. I had to redo the whole HVAC, and so I I wanted to get a home improvement loan so I could home home improvement loan. But because I didn't have uh, pay stubs in a traditional job, I couldn't get a loan. So I went to ask my dad to help support and co-sign this loan for me. And I thought it would be an easy way for him to support me. And um, I sat down with him, and it basically led into this uh, this really intense experience where he. I felt super rejected by him. He said, you know, I'm not going to support you. Um, I don't believe in what you're doing. Um, I don't think you, you know what you're doing. Um, and I felt really rejected by him and it was this, it led to like all this really deep anger and and resentment that I was feeling. And I, I left the house, I left the conversation, um, feeling really intense and I reflected on that. I'm like, what, what am I feeling? Like, why is, why is all this present now? And, and I, as I contemplated, that, I was like, Oh, I'm, I, I'm realizing like I always had this fear of being rejected by my my dad really and what that did was it made me wear a lot of these these subtle masks of who I thought I needed to be to receive love from him. And what's fascinating if you circle back to my whole journey in football on how I reached the pinnacle of success and really became one of the best in the world like the underlying driver of that ability and capability to push myself to that level of success was because i thought if i could find that level of success my dad would finally love me my dad would finally approve of me my dad would finally yeah accept me and i got to a point where when i reached that level like it's we were more disconnected than ever and then i let it let it all go and i said okay that's that that wasn't it (laughs) so then i went on this path of really like uncovering these deeper truths and really allowing myself to explore who I am. And as I started unraveling and uncovering like the truth of who I am, there was still a part of me that was really scared of, of being rejected for that. And, you know, even like talking about sharing that story with my mother and staring, sharing this experience with my dad, you know, why it's been so challenging me for me to share about that. And even like my spiritual beliefs and the things I'm learning, like being on a podcast like this is like, if my dad or my parents hear me talk about this stuff, like they don't accept it, approve of it. And so they reject that part of me. And so I've realized like, dang, I, f- I feel rejected. And so I went down to Peru uh, like two months ago on this deep pilgrimage and I worked with some plant medicine down there. And uh, it really helped me process that the grief of, of and, and really this letting go of who I needed my parents to be for me, like this projection of, needing to be approved by my father and needed to be accepted by my father and realizing like no matter what I do, he, he's not going to accept me. He's not going to approve of me. He's not going to love me for who I am. And knowing that's because he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't love himself and he doesn't accept himself. And, and it's all hmm. buried under these deep unconscious patterns. So I'm not saying it's like he's consciously doing this out of like spite or anything. Like I, for sure. within all of this, I can see the love I have that, especially because I have a son now, like I know my dad loves me. But there's a part of him that can't see me, can't accept me, because it I I to him is a reflection of where he is falling short of reaching his fullest potential. And so for him to hang on to his own story of limit limited like potential is is too much for him to see that reflection in me. And so he rejects me, which is just really him rejecting himself. And so as I've gone, when I went down to Peru, I was able to really access those emotions and let that that idea of who I needed my parents to be, I let it let it die. And in that de- death process was a, was a deep amount of grief, but was, what happened was really beautiful. Cause in that process, I was, I was able to really let go of this fear of rejection and it's created this deep, profound level of freedom where I can openly talk about these things now. And if my parents hear it, read about it and they say like, Joe, you, you, I can't believe you tell people publicly that story about when I cut your hair. It's like, I that no longer affects me because I know me sharing this stuff is having an impact on people who are hearing it, who are going through it. And if that, if me sharing it and being vulnerable in that way has even impacts one person's life, it's worth it. And if my parents are still hanging on to that story of like, you know, the fear of, of what that means about them. Like I'm, I'm not, I don't have any hostility, any hostility towards them. I don't like, I'm, I'm forgiving them. I know that they're, they are the way they are because of, their own wounding their own trauma their own ability to go deep within themselves and and look at their own inner world and i had to let go of needing to to save them really and and help support them and it's like you know that that level of freedom has been super profound and it's so fast that we talk about freedom and freedom's been one of my biggest journeys is like i just keep re- re- reaching and accessing like deeper and deeper layers of of what that even means and you know circling back to even like the food piece and the sovereignty and that uh, growing my own food. It's like, how deep does does this journey go? It's like,
1: yeah, yeah, it seems like you need to be completely rejoined with uh, God at some level, if you're going to be truly free. But um, I mean, I think even a, a bigger theme that was coming up there at the, at, almost at the end of it, right. Is, is kind of this idea of, you know, if your parents are listening or following along and, and even the the model of love right like like how we model how do we model our love towards other people is a reflection of how we model love towards ourselves even and i don't know there's a piece of me that seems like even if at some level they hear all of this esoteric stuff and and i know i think i heard in uh Kyle's podcast your daddy even would talk about how meditation was like a chance for the devil to get inside you which I'm huge on meditation. So we can get that in a second. But, but the the core fundamental thing that feels like is coming up here is that this could be even a, an avenue for your parents to know you and experience you in a different light that's almost unfiltered. Because I have a similar relationship with my mom where not maybe not to the extreme of like, all this, but she, you know, at some level, there's probably some sort of barrier or thing that we're still working through in our life. But, but I know she listens to like all of my podcasts. So she has these like little times where she's listening and then she has these ideas that come up. And so it seems to me that even this podcast is a way for me to expand the relationship with my mom, where she hears something, she's like, I don't really understand that. Or that doesn't make sense to me. Or are you sure you really want to be putting this out there? And so it, it even opens up that dialogue of like, okay, here's the way that my parents saw the world and like now they can see how I'm experiencing the world. So like, you know, as we even kind of start this is like, okay, we slightly disagree about something here. Like, where's the, where's the line of truth that runs through it? Because this was even a quote that popped up in my head earlier. But when you were talking about truth, like there's a, there's a quote by Paramahansa Yogananda, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he has a quote that's like, truth is never afraid of questions. Hmm. And so it's like, Uh no matter how many questions you use, no matter what questions you find, like the truth is always going to be there at the bottom of the, of the, of the rabbit hole of the pit of the, of the things it's like, so, you know, the only thing that we're afraid of is that, that ego identification, that, that worldly view that we're clinging to the person, the thing, the item, but the quicker we can like, let that go, the quicker we can find deeper truth, deeper meaning, even in our own lives.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. I love that. Yeah, it's the questions that actually allow you to get to the deeper truths, and like without the questions, you're not actually going to be able to find the truth, which is really powerful. And it's it's a really great point. I mean, the 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 potentialities there, right? And back to that that fear of rejection. Like, if I'm ever going to have the potential of being fully accepted, approved, received, heard by my parents for who I am, then I got to be able to speak. And share who I am and what I believe. And if they reject that, then that's fine. But if I'm putting on a mask or saying a story because I want their approval, I want their acceptance, then even if they get to a point where they're accepting me, they're not accepting me. They're accepting the the mask of what I'm putting on to receive that validation and acceptance. So it's like the freedom is in the and it it creates the potential for there to be an an experience and I'm I'm holding on to hope for that, right? It's like this. You know, they they may come to a point like we don't we don't really understand it, but we love you and and we accept you for like what you do share and what you do believe. And yeah, I'm, I, but to get to there, the only way that that's even a potential is if I'm fully speaking from my heart and my truth. And until I get to that point, then it's it's always going to be like the rejection is always going to be manifest because I'm
1: rejecting myself first. Right. And then the world just has a way of amplifying that back to you. I'm also finding, (laughs) I'm also kind of finding a funny visual where, you know, we're talking about all this like fear and, and, you know, doubt and, and shame that you were going through. And yet, I'm sure on the outside, I didn't look up your stats, but being a center, I'm sure you were at least like 6'4, 6'5 and, you know, 280 pounds. And yet, you know, this is like a, a physical representation, which I'm sure there were people who were, even just afraid of your build. And yet underneath the surface is, you know, for lack of a better, for like a scared child almost of trying to find acceptance, trying to find all this stuff. And it's, it's almost like this comical ironic, you know, representation of everything that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, totally. I think it's, it's interesting to know that, you know, everybody is going through, some type of internal narrative and story and fear and wounding and experience. And and I think it goes back to, you know, being able to know who I am and be confident in myself. Like when I walk into a room, I don't, I don't have anything to prove to anyone. And I think naturally when, you know, somebody walks in and they, they need to take up space or they need to, to, to share a lot or like whatever it is to like you can you can almost tell like their their insecurities over cost kind of radiating off of them because of they're trying to fill that void or that insecurity with the the, the story and, and needing to be received or seen in a certain way and that level of freedom. When you access that level of freedom, like it it radiates. There's a frequency to it and it creates safety and even the environment energetically where, you know, you can connect with people and listen and hear and accept and receive people for who they are and even if they are acting and you know insecure or they're a little bit more ego driven it's like being able to to be curious with them and hold space i mean that's really the the path that i'm on and and the work that i do is really helping hold space and in containers for people to to feel seen to feel heard because i think back to like the the whole mental health crisis and and uh where we're at as a society is, you know, I think 99% of, of what could really help support mental health, emotional health, and all of the things that we face collectively is, you know, people just desire to be seen and heard and accepted and felt. And if you can create a space for that, but in order to create the space fully, you have to you have to have find that within yourself. And so back to like, if you want to change the world, the only way to change the world is by changing yourself. And if you can fully accept and heal and find that freedom within, you can start holding that space for others. And, and that's why I love kind of circling back to what we shared about, about Jesus, you know, like Jesus, like he was talks about in the Bible, like he hung out with, you know, the kind of the, the quote unquote, like kind of scum of, of the earth or the, 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 the rejected ones, the people that weren't super accepted. And he was able to like, Be in a place of non-judgment, and because of that, he was able to heal people. And he didn't heal people because he had special powers. He healed people because he was healed, and he was present. And he he saw people. He saw their heart. He held them. He received them. He loved them. And in that process, it's like, whoa! Like if you if you felt that from somebody, it's like, it's the most powerful thing in the world.
1: It'll change you. It's like that, just divine frequency right of we're calling christ consciousness or the i I think in hinduism they call it krishna consciousness which is just like the uh well they, they call it something else but i know i know krishna is like their version of of christ but yeah it's weird it's like if you're just surrounded by that energetic vibration and i think there's just plenty of studies that that even even reiterate this right whereas if you're Surrounded by fear, lack, scarcity, all of this darkness, like, I mean, what options do you have if you don't have a a model for what's good, what's high vibration, or even, and in this case, the pathway towards self-realization or God or the embodiment of it, then that's like, you need something or someone in order to be like, oh, okay, like that's the path that I'm looking for. So I need to figure out a way to kind of completely align with that. And, and it's crazy too, because it seems to me, especially as I've been on this path that it changes the environment around you for the better. It's like, you got to change your internal self. And it's, it's almost like the uh, reverse onion, right? Like I know a lot of people in the healing journey talk about like how many more layers of the onion are we going down, but it's like, once you get to even close to the core, I guess it was just, once you even start it, it has this weird outward effect where, where everything else starts to even just vibrate differently. Right. It's like either people change or they leave. And it's, and it's kind of this cool weird phenomenon that occurs where it's like, okay, you know, like for instance, like we wouldn't be having this conversation if, if I didn't heal or even if you yourself didn't heal, like we just, we wouldn't be on the same vibration or frequency in order to, to sit down and have this conversation. And so it's, it's really quite fascinating the way that once you kind of zoom out and take this like third person perspective of the way things are changing or evolving in your life, how you actually get to see all the nuanced differences that seem to be shaping or flowing or coming in or going out of your life. And, and even to take this, maybe to like a a metaphysical, and then I think there's probably a story in here you might have, because I know, again, I'm going back to that podcast where, um, you know, the, the society that we're living in, Communication is just, it seems to be so, so disjointed and so broken in the sense that it creates almost more of this incongruency, right? Almost more of this hardship. And even in your story, whenever I was listening to it, it seemed like even that miscommunication in the NFL, it like just radiates. Like it's just, it's permeated in almost all aspects where it's like you had no idea if you were starting or playing, you know, the next day. And so, Did you see at all how, let me think of how to articulate this. Did you see at all like, like if there were different environments where like communication could have been like, or maybe even the why, right? Like, do you feel like that this, the communication breakdowns that you were experiencing in the NFL were, uh, were a symptom of like something bigger at large and that, there was a way that they could have even been altered or reconstructed so that more people were on the same page. Like I'm kind of having a difficult time articulating a question here, but do you, do you kind of feel where I'm going with this?
0: Yeah. Uh, do you mind if I go to the restroom real quick before I, we
1: yeah, jump into that? go ahead. Do your thing? I'm like, about to, like one sec. And then I need to fix my camera. Too. Okay, cool. We'll pause it. Can't have you distracted on what, uh, what we're talking about here. Right. I, <laughs> I was losing my, losing my, my thread it, yeah so we're back we got the thread back
0: yeah i think you're talking about uh communication and the greater i mean reason why people struggle to to communicate and the yeah
1: because it seems like it seems like it was one of those threads that also would have chipped away at you know that your love for the game of football, because I know I have like uh, a couple other friends who have played in the NFL and it, I know one of them in particular, like can't even be around like conversation about fantasy football or, you know, just even the NFL as a whole, it's like, if we're watching football, he's got to leave the room kind of deal. And it's really fascinating to me because it, it seems like, you know, whether it, it seems like, especially in his life, like The lack of communication, not knowing, you know, that, that scarcity, right. The feeling accepted, like once you, you've always been the best at something your entire life and, and maybe even relied on it at some level for like validation. And then now everyone's kind of like, uh, like, like being short with you, it might bring up some, some wounding from your past as well of not being accepted. So like, how does, I mean, communicate, how does specifically, I guess, does communication kind of play into that role and and do you see anywhere that it could be or do you see any ways that it could be improved at like a mass scale
0: yeah i mean i think i mean it's so complex and nuanced and i think if we widen the lens out to kind of the collective systemic societal cultural issue you know it comes back to this this lack of understanding of self and this projection of our ideas of who people are and I think it comes back to like judgment right and um I apologize with my camera thing.
1: It's all good. Just us a sales.
0: Are you doing video too?
1: I am but um definitely the more audiences on the on the audio, but we can see let me see if I if you if you want to take a all right so third time's a try if his if Joe's uh face looks a little bit blurry. I'll find some good filters. Maybe we'll get the filter with like the glitter, below the eyes or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it was really nice for for a long time, but yeah, apologies for the technical difficulties. We're flowing and it's really about the conversation more than anything. Uh, Sorry, we'll find it again. We found our way yeah. back there once. Yeah, yeah but I mean, I I have the thread. I think the communication and the it's, it comes back to this 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 lack of understanding of self and we don't know how to communicate our inner world because we're we're so attached to this this projection of our reality and that's the interesting thing we talk about is like when you start changing yourself and you go inward and it's like all these all these spiritual esoteric teachings that's why they always talk about like as within so without it's It's you start to clean the lens in which you view reality, everything changes. And so back to the idea of like, if you want to change the world, you got to change yourself because the way I view you from my level of consciousness five years ago is different than how I view you now. And it's it's every single person that I know is just a projection of who I think they are, which is really fascinating to think about and to contemplate is that, I'm I'm creating a story always of every single person I interact with, I can never fully know the depth of who they are and what they've been through. And so when it gets back to like communication, like, of course, we don't know how to properly communicate. And when we have all this like, judgment and resentment and these unconscious triggers and patterns and projections of reality of our own biases and our own experiences, and it's overlaid onto the world, like, it's hard to know how to properly communicate and you know, with the NFL and it's just one of these uh, and with leadership in general, it's, it's this, it's, it's, it was really challenging to be a part of that environment because all I really like needed was somebody to come up to me and be like, Hey, you know, we noticed that you're really struggling or your body language is off or, you know, you're not, performing like we need you to and if you don't change or shift or you know we're going to cut you to have that conversation seems a lot more practical and smart as an investment into a player than just being like hey he's not up to snuff let's just cut him and you know i think it's it's individual i think there's a bigger collective obviously issue and i think some of the reasons i shared but you know i had a coach his name was Mike Tice, one of my favorite coaches I played for, and I was only able to play for him for four games because he was there for a year, and I, got, I blew my knee out four games into playing with him, but he was such a breath of fresh air because when he came in, he, was a, he played in the NFL for 15 years, so he understood, like he was a player's coach, he understood what we were going through, and it was so refreshing because he would come into our offensive line meeting room, and we'd have like a younger guy. You know, there's, started training camp, there's 15 to 18 offensive linemen, and we only hold nine to 10 offensive linemen on the team so everybody knows you know eight or nine of us are going to get cut and usually there's you know the starters are pretty solid it's like who's going to start and there's like you know maybe two to three roster spots for like 10 people to like fight for and he would come in oftentimes and be like hey you know let's say jeff uh i was just up in A meeting with the front office and some of the scouts and the general manager and the topic of conversation was you're not doing good enough and you're not doing good enough in one-on-ones and unless you change something and show up and play better they're talking about cutting you and i wanted you to know that to your face so that you could attempt to do something to improve and you know that this is where they're at and Because he said that it created such a profound respect for this man that like, I know that he's going to tell me how it is. Like if I, if I'm on the chopping block, he's not going to, he's not going to like tiptoe around and be like, Oh, like we can't let Joe know because that might affect his performance. He's going to come in and tell me to my face, like, Hey, we're thinking about cutting you and you need to do better. And that alone created such a profound respect for this coach that I wanted to do everything in my power to play as best as I could for this guy. and so. I think that was obviously not the norm that was a an outlier, but because he was so deeply connected from personal experience on what he would want to be treated like, that's how he showed up and you know it's fascinating in the n f l there's like for it's like a twenty five billion dollar a year industry, and it's fascinating how you know it's a really big business and obviously the sports side of it and some of the people that are in charge of making these really big business decisions worth millions of dollars they uh 're they they're not they're not very good you know they're not just, they, they just they're not good business people they maybe never played football and it's, it just blows my mind sometimes looking at like the people in the decision making roles that how they found themselves there but it's you know it's one of those things like it's about who you know and like working your way up and you know it's the culture of like looking out for yourself it's a really fascinating experience to hmm. be a part of the NFL and have to create like a team dynamic and and this is family and we're going to do it together but then holding that and then also holding like I got to look out for myself it's all about my own journey and my livelihood and this is my right. job and I need to compete and like holding the tension of both of those is something that's really challenging and it takes a special kind of you know psychological development well,
1: and it even it even seems like it might not be possible like I And maybe it is, maybe the NFL is a fact that it is, but to me, it seems like, you know, having this articulation of like family team, like, like an underpinning of that would be communication, right? I mean, there's a reason it's the number one amendment, you know, it's the very first one that we put into the constitution. It's the most, it has to be, I mean, it like just fundamentally, it feels like it's the most important thing in of being human is to communicate right and then you want to take another layer onto that and we're trying to build a team a family and we're trying to achieve a singular goal right like we all want to work together to achieve a singular goal you would think that the the what would it be like the um, foundation that that should be built upon is upon trust and honesty and even more so like kind of even what you're saying it's like if you want the best from people you should tell them exactly how it is because I mean, there's a couple of stories that are coming to mind. I mean, even my, my situation, whenever I got out of, uh, out of us being a software engineer, I saw a lot of highlights of that where like, I wasn't being directly told when I was coming up short. It was like, I wasn't told for like six months after the fact. And, you know, of course that was when pay pay raises came in and it's like, well, you're not getting a raise because you know, all of these things you failed upon. And it's like, why are you telling me this six months after the fact I could have corrected all these by then? And And I mean, that's a whole nother story, but, but I think to your point, it's like, it's like if, if communication isn't there in an organization at some point in time, it has to start crumbling or eroding or becoming, you know, less than, than what it is. And, and it's really fascinating to see such a prolific, um, a prolific, Organizations such as the NFL, right? You know the the common thing is that they took back Sunday from the church, and it's like, like how could something so profound be plagued with such a a a baseline, a foundational, you know, tenant of being human and and collectivity and family and teamwork and and all of those ethos.
0: Yeah, I think it comes back to what we are talking about throughout the show, and is is the the fear the wounding the trauma how it all shows up like back to my story with with my fiance like i wasn't able to communicate my feelings in my inner world because it would lead to conflict It would lead to fear of rejection it would lead to this fear of being seen and sharing how i actually feel and and so there's this, it's a part of this wider conversation of why people don't, aren't able to communicate is because their idea of what their experience, past experiences has led. If I tell you that you need to do something differently, like what's that going to turn into? So I'm just not going to share it. And it creates these expectations that aren't properly communicated, which creates the conflict, which creates the disconnection. And you know, I think it really comes down to the conversation of, of, of a different, like defining leadership in a different way. And learning to lead in a different way. And I think in our kind of patriarchal, like hierarchical dynamic of leadership, um, we have a lot of un immature, unhealed leaders that are in leadership positions and they're projecting because they're in a place of quote unquote power. They are projecting their own wounding out and until they actually take responsibility and do develop some of the tools that we're talking about here and lead with more compassion, more heart, more presence. But in order to do that, you have to go on a journey of understanding yourself and healing and responsibility. And so that's why I'm really passionate about what I do now is supporting this, this new paradigm of leadership and shifting into more heart centered leadership. And in order to lead from the heart, you have to lead yourself. And in order to do that, you have to go on this journey of healing and, uh, understanding of self and exploration of your inner world and what makes you tick. And um excavating some of your unconscious patterns. And so it all leads to this, this spiritual maturity, you know, and this it, it's hard to, to separate. And that's why I love talking about spirituality from a very grounded place. And I know, you know like language matters. And like, when you get too esoteric, it's like, how does this apply? Well, it's like this journey of going inward is really, like practical. And if you want to become a better leader, if you want to find more success, you want to find more presence, you want to find more fulfillment, more happiness, like this is, it all leads back to, to this, you know?
1: Yeah. So are there any like, uh, modalities or tools that you use on whether it's like a day-to-day basis or week by week basis to, you know, maybe cultivate a stronger sense of, of spirit or directionality or increasing your own intuition throughout, you know, days or weeks.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, some of the, some of the tools and practices, I mean, it's like in meditation, finding stillness, uh, learning to listen to myself and my heart and you know, it, it it's, it's a process of constant unfolding and desire to understand oneself and how we tick and, you know, journaling, um, finding time to contemplate and process and integrate. Um, I think, and I just got off the, the river, I was on a multi-day rafting trip and we can get into kind of what I, what I do now with my business, but I, I think getting out in nature, and finding stillness and doing some, some type of pattern interrupt. You know, we get so in a world filled with so much distractions and so much content and so much to learn and so much to do. And we can get so bogged down in the routine of life that we're just kind of on this hamster wheel, like continuing to go, 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 go. And sometimes all you need is, is to interrupt that. You know, I think one of the most powerful things you can really implement is kind of a, it's like an, like an intangible, like, ethereal concept, but it's it's implementing spontaneity into your life because even on the physiological understanding of the brain and how neural pathways work, if we're in a constant routine in the same environment doing the same things over and over again, those, those neural pathways get wired and hardwired and they get more and more calcified, and so it's harder and harder to change. And if you build more spontaneity into your life, like, You know, instead of driving the same way to work as a simple example, driving the same way to work, like take a different route, go the long way and just recognize how that's going to break some type of neural connection, create some neural pathway. That's why, you know, one of the things when I, when I was walking away from the NFL, part of the, one of the variables that was involved in that decision was, you know, halfway through my career is when all this, uh, this, this lawsuit around CTE and brain trauma and, and how TBI and, the Effect that that has on players in contact sports, and that created this real underlying fear of like, holy cow, I don't, I don't want to like have early onset dementia, and what, like, what is, what is brain brain trauma is fucking scary. If I break my arm, I put a cast on it, like I can still function, but when it's my neurodegenerative disease, it's like affecting the very lens in which I view reality, my consciousness, my mood, like all of these things. That's fucking frightening. And as I started really confronting that fear in a very real way is like okay how can i be proactive with my brain health i started learning about neuroplasticity neurogenesis and this idea that you know you only have a certain number of brain cells and if you lose them you're fucked it's like that no like you can regenerate brain cells and you know i started learning about you know anti-inflammatory foods and you know nutrients to that's good for the brain and then understanding okay like learning and Learning new things and expanding my awareness creates new neural pathways. Novel experiences—that's like why travel is so important. Like going, not just to like an all-inclusive resort, but like going on a, a backpacking trip or a road trip to go get into the, an unknown environment that you can't predict what's next. Creates this radical presence and breaking down and expansion of these new neural pathways, and then getting into you know, some of the the work with psychedelics and plant medicine, how the research around that creating new neural connections in the brain. And so that's kind of what got me on this path of of really taking care of my brain health has actually led me to deeper levels of awareness and expansion of my consciousness because of the neural pathways that I wanted to create so I could have better brain health is like also expanding my awareness and expanding my understanding of self. And it's really cool how, you know, if you really want to care for yourself and your health, like, if you go down that path it's actually going to lead to deeper levels of spirituality and connection and awareness too it's like
1: all connected it's so wild and so did you find in this kind of in this kind of journey right especially maybe with the brain and the mental and cce stuff like what are cuz i think even even as someone who played football in high school right and has you know relatively probably not nearly as much head um, you know, <laughs> head contact, head, uh, abuse, maybe as yourself, what did you find whenever you're deep researching this? Like, what are some things that we are able to do to keep the brain functioning, keep it regenerating more efficiently? Is it, is just, is meditating solid? Are there certain foods? Are there certain minerals, vitamins?
0: Um, yeah, I would say, you know, like, there's a lot of different things you can do. I think I read a book called Genius Foods, um, which I forget the author's name. I think it might be Max Lugervar or something. Um, but he, his mom had early onset dementia and Alzheimer's. And so he went on this deep path of researching, like, how can I help prevent uh neurodegenerative disease and he did a lot of deep research on the actual foods that we eat and one of the worst things for the brain is high inflammatory foods and you know there's specific foods that are really good for brain health like like almonds blueberries avocados um and then there's stuff that's really terrible for not only the brain but for the body and i think one of the things that most people don't talk about is the uh The PUFA is the polyunsaturated fatty oils that are literally in almost every single thing that we eat and these oils uh, are created because they have a high burn rate. So like they don't they don't burn so you can like put them in things and like process foods and all this stuff. And they don't break down at high temperatures. And that's what the reason they use them. But if you think about in a very mm. simplistic way, like if your body's or if they're they're not breaking down at high temperatures, then how is your body able to really break them down in your in your digestion and stuff? And so they attach to and are unable to be processed within the body, which creates these high inflammatory states, which leads to joint pain, you know, discomfort, and is really, really bad for brain health. And so if you're thinking about you know, how can I be proactive with my brain health, even if you don't experience like contact that much? I mean, it's really important because the brain obviously is the filter in which we view reality, like I shared earlier. And so if you want to expand your consciousness and connect deeper with, you know, your emotions and, and your mental health and your spiritual health, it all starts in the physical body and what you're fueling your body and what food you're eating. And it's it's, there's all these different fad diets that you can follow. But I think the biggest thing is you know, am I eating real food or am I eating poison? And if, if you're not checking every, the label of every single thing you eat, like start there. And if you, if you don't really know what you're looking for, if I, if I look at something, I always look at the, the label now. And if I look at something and it has more than like five ingredients, like at the ingredient levels, like it's just like a whole list. I just put it back <laughs> down. Like automatically, I don't even need to read it.
1: It's bigger than the and nutrition if, label.
0: <laughs> yeah. Look at the nutrition label. And a lot of people there's like, we're, we're kind of programmed to look at macros, right? Like how many grams of protein, how many grams of carbs, how many grams of fat? I mean, that's really irrelevant if the ingredient list is like, cause they can, they can genetically engineer food to have different macros in it to look healthy. For but sure. if the ingredient levels like this, it's, it's, you're eating literally poison your body struggles to break that stuff down. And so, eating more I like to say like eating more high vibrational food like fruits vegetables things from nature like start there and just notice how much better you feel because inflammation affects everything our mood our health everything
1: yeah I know i I think I saw and it's a huge and it should not be an understated point which is to read the ingredients like that's so powerful and I even know there's like these tortilla shells um <laughs> which you look at the back of them it's you know, just a whole bunch of random stuff, but they had one, uh, like one variation of their brand, which was like spinach herb was like the brand. And so the shell was like a little bit green. And so it's like sitting there, you're like, Oh, okay. There's spinach in here. And then whenever you go and read the ingredients, it's like the very last or once one of the last things on the thing, then it's like, Oh, there's like spinach, like coloring or something. It's like, not even, they didn't even put real spinach in it. (laughs) It just like, took the coloring out of it or something i dude i don't even know when i saw that i was like this is fucked up like they're putting on the label spinach herb and yet they're i don't even think there's actually spinach in it
0: yeah there was something that happened uh i forget the exact point in time that this happened but it was like before like the 2000s maybe in like the 80s or 90s when there there was like a law passed where before this law there there you you used to have to say like i think with crab for example like if it's natural crab or imitation crab you had to like say that it was imitation crab if it wasn't actual real and you had to like market it that way and there was something that shifted where they no longer on the marketing label had to actually tell you what it is they just had to say it on the ingredients and so like to your point there's all this stuff like on the front that looks like the branding and marketing is really good and it looks super healthy and they can market like this is a health food and then you look at the ingredients and it's like all this bullshit in it so you got to be very very careful nowadays it's really fascinating
1: and especially i know there's um my dad was just recovering from a knee surgery and so he was uh he needed to get like protein shakes or something and there was one protein shake that he bought and It was like, it even said on the label, like doctors recommend and high protein and, you know, low carbs. But then you look at the very first ingredient was water. And then the second one was high fructose corn syrup. And I'm sitting there like, dude, there's no chance. First of all, that any common sense doctor is recommending this. Like, did they like just pay to give someone a doctorate degree and then just like say that they like, dude, it to me, I was just like, this is insane.
0: That's the hard thing about the system that we live in is the the doctors are educated for eight to 12 years in this education system where, you know, I think there's like one class that's mandatory that's on nutrition in their whole time that they're in school. And that nutrition is from the lens of a paradigm that says this is what health food is. And even with doctors, like how disconnected are they from the actual first thing you should look at when you're unhealthy is what are you fueling your body with and high fructose corn syrup is like it's fake sugar that literally your body will just turn straight into fat and like just so unhealthy like your body doesn't know how to process it that's the first ingredient then it's like the fact that a doctor is recommending that just tells you how fucked up our entire paradigm is of health and I mean we've created a business that is in their best interest for the bottom line to keep our population sick. And when you start looking at that stuff, like back to my kind of point earlier when I'm like connecting this deeper level of freedom and like this disconnection from our food source and where our food's coming from, even the fruits and vegetables don't have the nutrient density that they once had even 50, a hundred years ago. Yeah. And so we're, we're we're not eating food that is actually good for us. We're eating poison. And once you start doing that, like don't even talk about, Trying to expand your awareness and consciousness if you're not even checking on what you eat. And, you know, I I heard this actually very recently. It was um, one of my friends, one of his spiritual teachers uh, said, you know, because there's all this talk about like spirituality and calling in abundance and freedom. And when it's done from this level of awareness that is in this old paradigm, it's like all another rue to keep us trapped in the system. And if your spirituality isn't connecting you with, your food and with the earth and with reciprocity, then you got to really question like, what, what am I actually doing here? What am I connecting with? It's Mm. like, you're still, it's another way to trap you in this game, in this machine. And you know, I'm, I'm just now, I've been on this path for a long time. I'm just now starting to realize like, okay, like real spirituality is connecting with nature and connecting with where my food comes from. Like that's the real grounded, connection to nature and how we get back to this story of what charles eisenstein is 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 evolving and, and reconnecting with the story of interbeing and and not separation
1: yeah dude I, and i even yeah it's it's crazy too because i know i've even seen where uh, i don't don't quote me Well, oh, maybe i shouldn't say it if i'm gonna say don't quote me on this but i know that they're even kind of like pumping the soil with like artificial stuff such that foods are getting bigger and maybe I should, I should fact check myself before I say something like that. Here's what I will say that I know is true. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure how much you've traveled out of the country, but whenever it comes to things like uh bread, for instance, like here, if you eat bread, you could eat like an entire loaf and not feel full at all. But if you go over to like Italy or even Israel or like Egypt, and you just have like one slice of bread, dude, it it's so satiating that it's crazy. Like it's just, you can just feel It tastes so much more real in a sense, which is weird because I always kind of like made this mental association of like wheat grains, inflammation. It's not good for you, but I think big picture, it's like one of those moderation things, big picture. If you're getting all the real nutrients that are probably supplied with it, it's a lot more healthy and not even that, but you're not like stuffing yourself full of 20 pieces that all the nutrients is packed into maybe half of one
0: yeah totally and everything that's why it's so important to check the labels like there could be you know three of a similar product or a similar type of food uh on the shelf and if you don't look at the ingredients one of them could be first ingredient high fructose corn syrup and the other one's actual whatever it is like cane sugar it's like this that alone it's like go go to the one that has the cane sugar and when you start looking at labels and right. start recognizing there's little changes you can make. And, you know, usually those healthier products are a little bit more expensive, you know, maybe like 50 cents a dollar more, but there's a reason for that because they, they put all these shitty ingredients in because at scale, it's cheaper for them. You know, if it's like a penny or two cheaper per item of product, they're going to make that decision because at scale selling millions of items, like it's going to lead to millions of dollars in their pocket. And so, when you start looking at how the whole system collectively works, you, you really start it's back to the, the radical responsibility. Like you need to start really taking responsibility for what you're putting in your body and start there. Um, I think it's really, really important.
1: Yeah. I think that's probably a big piece of it too, where, you know, it, when you talk about all this stuff, you look at how bad the systems are, how, you know, messed up they are it kind of the best thing you can do is like, bring it back into yourself. Like, okay, we're talking about how all of this, you know, food is, is bad, malnutrition, over farming, you know, they're putting stuff in the, you know, certain foods and telling us to eat certain things. And I think what, you know, what we're kind of hinting at here, which is to take that, take that ability, like within yourself, you know, make sure you know where the source is, go to your local farmers markets, go to, you know, start your own farm if you have the ability and and I think that's probably the way, cause it, it starts at the individual, right? Like, like if you didn't do it, then you wouldn't be able to come on the podcast and tell us about it. Right. And so I, I think it's probably, that's the way you combat this is like, don't try to fight the system, right? Try to change yourself, try to look at what you have in your general vicinity and be like, okay, I don't, I choose to no longer go to the supermarket. I choose to go to farmer's markets. I choose to grow my own. And I think over time, that's kind of how you chip away at these behemoths, right? It's the, it's the David and Goliath story, if you will, where it's like, this is how you can embody that, that David that's kind of within all of us. Yeah.
0: And I think if you're, if you're, if this is sparking a curiosity to any of your listeners, I think like Kyle Kingsbury, if you go listen to his podcast, like this is really the, the, the topic of most of his conversations is around, Uh, food sovereignty and 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 moving more towards this localized um individual connection to uh your your food and he just had someone on his podcast i think it was episode 300 the one after the one i was on and they talked about this and it's really fascinating because they talked about even this whole idea of regeneration and regenerative farming is still getting lost in the mass consumerism and the mass like corporate uh story at scale that we're, you know, it's like, it's a really fascinating conversation because even when you think you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to buy this regenerative made grass fed beef. If it's still coming from the the supermarket and the system, it's, it's still a part of the very system that we're trying to wake up out of. And it can be very overwhelming and daunting. And people are like, well, where do I start? I don't have land I can't grow my own food. I can't survive. It's like, he talks about in that, in that episode, I forget who he had on, um, but it was really, really good. And it's like, if you don't know where to start, then, you know, look down and, and start where your feet are. And, and what he means by that is, is go to your, you know, local farmer and say, how can I help? How can I support? How can, you know, do you have food that I can buy from you? And, you know, it really comes down to this conversation of like really buying local and, and you know, just from the simple fact of, how do we navigate this great shift that we're moving through, and the potentialities of total chaos and anarchy? With if the systems systems we live in are very fragile at scale, and as we saw during COVID, it's like you know supply supply chain and like food. Like if if we're unable to get food into supermarkets, like what happens to people after a few days of not being able to eat? Like it it, it gets really scary really quick. And so if you just start developing those relationships with you know, local farmers, and, you know, they're everywhere. And you just got to do a little research and start putting that putting that groundwork. And it is overwhelming. And I'm not saying it's something like, I need to be better at, and I'm just starting down this path. And, you know, I think it's really cool. Like a lot of people I'm I know, it's almost as if there's this collective download that's happening. That's like this whisper from spirit that's like, hey, it's time to get get back to to, to who we are it's, it's time to remember it's time to reconnect with our food reconnect with nature and you know i truly believe that there's there's so many of us coming online and be, answering this call back to more localized regenerative ways of farming and growing our own food that there's there's plenty of potential to, to get involved and you're not alone if you're starting to get curious about this it's just about educating yourself one and then connecting with people that are on this path and i think you know, Kyle's podcast is a really, really great place to start. And some of his podcasts are really overwhelming. Even for me, I'm like, Oh cow. Like I feel like there's so much work to be done, but you know, you just got to start today now. And I think it starts with something as simple as checking your labels and and taking responsibility for what you're putting in your body.
1: I I think that's probably a a metaphysic or a general thing that's probably going on. Um, Even with like spirituality, it's like, Oh, there's so much more work. Oh, there's so much more wounding, but it's like, at some point you just got to start right just one step at a time where are you at right now what's the first layer and also on top of that i want to make a disclaimer that this is not sponsored in any way by kyle's podcast (laughs) even though this is probably the most we've ever talked about a podcast (laughs) on this podcast um but yeah man i i it's just it's so wild it's so it's so it's weird because it seems like it's It's almost like we, we might make it more complex than it needs to be. Like it, like it seems like if we've given so much into the system, it seems like it can take so much to get out of it. But at the same time, it seems like just one step at a time. If you just make that one step to uncover this new thing about yourself, this one step to just stop eating your fruits from the market, instead go to a farmer's market for your mushrooms and fresh veggies, get the rest of the supermarket, you know, you just, just make these little pivots and it kind of. It find you find your way out of it. And, you know, I, I think there's probably a parallel here with even you kind of standing up for yourself, you know, in the big picture with uh with like standing up for yourself, like saying, No, I'm like the leader. Do you really want to rely on this guy? And I bet at some level, like that small step, you know, leads to you to where your story kind of went where You found yourself like kind of approaching free agency saying like okay this is my dollar amount or else i'm walking because i need to protect myself you know because you're standing up for your physical health your bodily health and it seems like that even started to exacerbate the whole situation that we really dove into here and so where i'm curious right is because we talked about you going up to the top of that mountain and then afterward it's like okay what the hell am i doing next like what's the world like after football So what, so you've brought up a couple of times, you have a business, you have this, this farm you're doing, is this the new mountain that you're trying to climb or trying to build that you're going to use for, you know, whatever it is that this, this spirit is whispering to you?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think naturally I would like to start with, uh, I'm doing it from a different place, obviously. You know the, the mountain I was climbing. You know, didn't know it at the time, but uncovering, like I talked about earlier, why was I doing it? And there was these unconscious drivers to feel accepted, to feel approved of, to find success, to be happy. And I'm grateful that I got to that point at such a young age, and was called to let it all go because it led me on this path of deeper self discovery. And from na- you know naturally, when you start waking up and and going on this journey inward and 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 desiring to understand yourself and heal. Um, I think every single one of us that goes on this path develop a natural desire to be of service to to something greater than the self and to others and those that we love. And um, so I'm doing it from this place of really wanting to be of service and uh, getting back to and remembering what it means to be human and to not get too lost in this story of of consumerism and materialism and all of this. And so the few projects I'm working on um, in that, I have the 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 property ninety minutes outside Austin. It's called Haven. Uh, we're moving out there in a couple months once our remodel is done, and we're going to be doing a regenerative farm and um, starting a community village and opening a retreat center out there. And so, uh, I'm really passionate about facilitating transformational experiences and holding space for uh, people to uncover and uh, explore and to to heal um and that's what i've been you know training in through my own experiential process but then also uh, understanding and and working with some mentors and and uh you know doing some breath work and some different uh different uh, experiential processes to really help uh, facilitate uh this deeper healing so if anybody desires to go on that path or go through a retreat type experience that's something that's going to be coming online over the the coming months and years um so definitely check that out. And then my project that I'm in the process of launching right now is called the Heart Collective. And the Heart Collective is, uh, you know, I'm really focused on building community because I truly believe that healing can really only take place in in the presence of others and, and within community. And so the Heart Collective, I just, uh, I just launched uh, and opened applications a few weeks ago. I don't know when this podcast is going to go live, but it's I'm bringing together 40 founding members to build the nucleus and foundation for this community of high impact leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, people that are really passionate about um, and desire like some of this conversation we had who have the ability and the resources and the impact to facilitate real change in the world. And so uh, building community for them and what I've found is you can't build community just because you want to, you got to go through some type of experiential process. And so I referred to uh, the, the multi-dip river trip I just got off of and I've been facilitating these, uh, these deep wilderness expedition retreats the last couple of years. And there's just something really profound about being deeply immersed in nature that allows you to shed the layers of you know, who you think you need to be and then really initiating the energy of your heart that tends to bring people together. And so I have two permits this summer, one in June and one in August, and we're using those experiences to really facilitate the, the deep bonds and connections and, uh, that are required to build community. And then there's some really exciting things I have for the future of how to leverage the power of this collective network and community into a uh, greater initiatives in the world so that we can actually have a, a greater impact. So it's, it's not just about, there's a lot of spiritual communities and then there's a lot of entrepreneurial communities out there We're kind of merging the two. And it's not just about the, the individual transformational experience that will take place, but it's how do we have that experience to facilitate uh, deeper bonds as a community. And then how do we leverage the power of community for greater initiatives uh, and to be of service um, as a community to, to, to greater, greater good. Um, so that's, that's really exciting. You can check that out at the, the dot it's H a R T. And then I have uh have my podcast too called life beyond the game. And I just relaunched that and uh, I bring on uh, former elite athletes to talk about the transition process specifically and talk more about these psychological processes and the healing and you know, how, that journey, like I've referred to so many times throughout the show propelled me on a deeper journey of self-discovery and healing. And I think there's something really cool about bringing on kind of these, these role models and these mentors and these people we look up to in our world as, as athletes and, you know, getting to the depth of their story and how the letting go of this identity propelled them on a journey of deeper healing and self-discovery. And, you know, the intention there is to hopefully inspire others to, to feel, um, not so alone in this process because it's something that we're all moving through no matter where you're at in life. Uh we're moving through a massive paradigm shift collectively and it can be you know, disorienting at times. And to know that you're not alone and to find inspiration in other people's stories is really, you know, what I'm here to to help facilitate.
1: Yeah, and dude, I mean, a ton of inspiration could definitely come from your story even just even just though what you shared here was got me at one point super moving and powerful, man. Um so I'm super grateful for your time, bro. I think this feels like a good spot to wrap it up. I usually leave the a last little segment for people to plug their stuff, but it seems like you've done that. But with that being said, I do want to give you this space just if you have like a last final message to just like, if you want to anchor into people, um, guys, you're going to be able to check out his links below. So if there's something you want to reference that you've already referenced, I know we'll link that below. Uh, but yeah, I want to give the floor to you if you have like a final message for the audience. Hmm.
0: Thanks brother. I really am deeply grateful for the opportunity and for the, the presence and the curiosity. You know, I've obviously done a few podcasts, but you know, you really, really enjoyed this one and your ability to guide me into, Oh, excuse me. I sneeze deeper layers of myself um, and holding the space for, you know, the, the vulnerability I think is just going to be really impactful to the audience. And so just thank you for, for what you're doing and for you answering the call and the courage it takes to let go of of things that um got you to where you're at and then being able to pave a new way and a new path. Uh, it's it's really honor it. Um I'm also writing a book right now too, so I think that's going to be kind of taking all the stories I shared on Kyle's podcast and your podcast and the depth of it and putting it into a a, a book. It's just going to be really really fun. And last words of wisdom, I would say what's coming to me is something that you know i adopted i read it in a book somewhere when i it was like before i walked away from the nfl and it was kind of this mantra that i really um i continued to to really anchor into uh, this this guiding post of 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 how i live my life and it's on the other side of fear lies freedom and if freedom is what you're after and what you desire then really understanding your fears and going into fear and, and developing a relationship with your fear. Um, you know, fear is, a is a guiding post. It's a, it's a, it's a guiding light. It's, if something triggers a fear response within you, then it's probably something you should explore, you know? And, and for me, like walking away from football is like the scariest thing ever. Cause like what I was literally walking into the unknown and, to do that, it takes courage. And if you really, I've contemplated this quite a bit, if you look at fear and courage, and if you look at them as frequencies, they're really the same frequency, just differences in degree. And the reason I know that is because without fear, there would be no opportunity to be courageous. And it, you know, getting a little more esoteric and in alignment with this show is I I tend to believe that the universe or God really one of the reasons we're here, because that's one of the big questions, right? Like, why are we here? What's the purpose of all this? And I think it comes down to, to experience. We're here to experience. And one of those experiences that I believe God or the universe or consciousness or source, whatever you want to label it as, one of the experiences that we're here in this realm of existence, in this reality, in this dimension, is to experience, have an opportunity to experience courage. And if we wouldn't have that opportunity if fear didn't exist, and so it's redefining your relationship with fear, understanding how fear shows up in your body, where these fears come from. And in the face of those fears, can you connect with the deep reservoir of courage it takes to answer the call of where your heart is leading
1: you? It's powerful words, man. It's powerful words. And, and whenever you get that book done, we'll have to, we'll have to do round two. We'll find a way at that point, we were talking before the show about how we're trying to get to transition to in-person interview. So, but whenever that book comes out, I know we'll, uh, we'll find a way, whether it's in Austin or in Pittsburgh, we'll find a way to make a round two in person. So that'd be dope. Oh yeah, dude. I'm looking
0: forward to it. That'll give me some inspiration to get it over the finish line. I've been working on it for years. Anybody that's written a book, it's a, it's a daunting task and, uh, hopefully I get it done in the next few months and we can, uh, plan something when it gets released maybe in the next uh, year or so.
1: That'd be cool, man. I mean, hey, at the end of the day, you can't rush perfection. It's all gonna happen in divine timing, right? That's it. Oh cool. Well, uh, with all of that being said, dude, Joe, thank you so much for being here, man. Incredible conversation. I really appreciate it. I know I've learned a lot. And hopefully the audience member has learned a lot as well. Guys, please, as always, share this podcast because it's a win. Well, let me let me see if I get this right. Win, 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 win situation. Uh, Joe wins because his message gets out there. My podcast gets out there. Your friend thinks you're super cool because you shared a dope podcast and then your friend wins because they are now turned on to a super dope podcast. So if you're still in here, you're still sticking around easy, zero cost way, everybody wins. And that's another way we can just spread some more abundance in the world. So with that being said, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. And I will see you all in the sixth dimension.